casual. It'll be ah, sick. It'll right. be really cool. And we're live. Oh, hello. Hello, Surprise hello, live. everybody. We are live. Welcome to the Alpha Alpha podcast. We are for entrepreneur and investor friends seeking the edge in money and meaning. We are Eric Johansson, Armand Asadi, Steven Cesaro is back, and I'm Nick Urbani. Hello to everyone in the chat. What's up, cousin? Ooh, we got a thumbnail uh, Recton, compliment. Jensenius, uh Max. I saw Brett in there, first timer, he said, in the EU. Welcome aboard, yeah. Brett. Welcome Late aboard. Late night. We appreciate it. Thanks for dressing up, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, credit to Steven on the thumbnail. Uh, yeah, you look very thumbnail. comfortable. I am so comfortable. I'm... I'm uh, <laughs> I'm angling for a Viore sponsorship for us. Oh, I see that. Such an underhanded. <laughs> playing the long game here. Comfort leisure. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. What are we talking about today? We got uh, a few things. We're talking but, about uh, this thumbnail, right? Oh, yeah, the thumbnail. Melt Whoa, up yeah, thesis. Yeah, what is going on with the melt up? Steven is going to ah, teach us we're melting. what, is, what a melt is a melt up thesis and how it might uh, change your investment strategy. We also got a few things the other boys have been uh, thinking about for the week. We got some Disney stock talks, some uh, startup hacks, credit hacks, mm -hmm. like fun, almost almost semi-funding hacks. Yeah, funding. And then uh, I got some uh, <laughs> P&L boring textbook business we might go through for fun. And at the end, we're going to have a little chat about uh, Tim Urban's uh, article called The Tail End. It's a pretty timeless piece, but uh, I think it's timely for one of us, so we'll go through it. Um, support the pod by becoming a member or donating. You can go to streamlabs.com slash alfalfapod. You can use the PayPal or the credit card option. It works now. Uh, donations, $9 or over. Your comment that you put in that donation box will show up on the, the screen. So feel free to have some fun with it. Unless you uh, use uh, bad words. Yeah, four-letter words. No, no, no. Uh, as part of our software strategy session this oh, weekend, we, we turned off the filter team. We removed the filter. Oh, great. Oh, so you nice. can actually curse on screen now. Oh, can, yeah. You can demonetize should I have us. Said that? <laughs> I don't know if I should have said that, but I felt proud of the accomplishment of finding that. I think the setting. revenue from the, the donation will outweigh the demonetization. YouTube monetization at this point. is probably not going to work for us. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. I did turn that on this weekend, too. So. Let's see if that, that does anything. Super chat and all that. Um, yeah, that link and all the other links subscribing to all platforms are at alphalphapod.com. Um, some quick announcements. Maybe, probably, most likely, no pod next week. We're all gone. So yeah, I thought we were going to have a little special. We may pod. do like a insert an oldie but goodie. Okay. In there. Could be a newie for someone who hasn't heard it. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So yeah, don't sleep the on house. the week. Just like I think gather everybody around a microphone. And it's see what audio happens. only, but it would be cool if we went back like two, three years mm -hmm. and did one of the podcasts the four of us did on your podcast. Oh my God. On Tipsy Flow. Talk? Tipsy Talk. There was a pretty drunk talk. We should do that. But maybe we'll upload that one. That'll be fun. Yeah, I don't think people have heard that. I don't think I remember any of it. I definitely don't know. Really cool. I remember it. You're right. Most self alpha people have never heard any of those. So. Yeah. That yeah. could be a good one to upload. Um, Eric's going to be in Turkey. Can I say where you're going to be? Yeah, because I, as of today, uh, am officially joining Techstars. Cheers, oh, bud. Clap, yeah. golf yeah. clap. Thank Cheers. You, oh, that was I, a secret? It was a <laughs> secret. And um, what good, did you good, know? Good thing I don't update my blog. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, literally, as of today, due diligence complete, documents signed. It was quite a due diligence process. I'm very impressed by everything I see so far. And next week, the first ever inaugural San Diego 
accelerator for Techstars. So congratulations, yeah, my friend. It's, a it's gonna lot be of work. intense. It's gonna be intense. Like but. a lot of applicants. That is very cool. You had like a uh, it was like a point one percent acceptance rate or something crazy. It was less than one percent. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. So good work, hard work, uh, but more hard work to follow. So we'll try to fit you in as many. Uh, yeah. And uh, apologies in advance if I, you know, lack in attendance, but uh, <laughs> hopefully I have more to, to share. Yeah, and you're going to get a ton a lot of, of growth alpha as a out of that. Yeah. It'd be cool if we got a little uh, few founder interviews with some fellow yeah. uh, tech stars totally. in there. It would be cool. Um, when, uh, when community investment round? Well, let's get it going, man. I, I like that idea. Oh, in... Steno? No, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I don't know if I need that. I don't know if I need that. <laughs> you don't. You want a thousand of the shareholders? More pressure. That's more pressure. Every week, just I like when when Steno for- update. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine my Discord notifications? <laughs> yeah. Hey, how's my four hundred dollar investment doing? Yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> um, and then to round out, uh, Stephen and I will be at Permissionless, so that's why we will miss a live next week. If you are going to Permissionless, you listen to this podcast, to Concentric Circles, um, go into the Discord and go into the Permissionless channel. There's a little invite for you to our uh, little happy hour. Should be fun. It's on Tuesday, September 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. Heard we maxed out the Partiful invite already, so should have some solid there's, there's attendance. There's a limit? I, I guess so, but uh, huh. we'll fit every uh, listener in for sure. Okay, that's done with announcements. Uh, Steven, what have you concocted for us today? I feel like we've been I, I brought old fashions. Yeah, everybody you, was really phoning it in, just bringing a bottle, so I went phoning above Phoning it in? I, 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 went, what? I picked up some Did nice ice. Did you just ice. shit on every previous <laughs> yeah. round? Time he's gotten free uh, alcohol? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the bartending Whoa, supply store. <laughs> yeah. No, I bought some. Uh, I didn't have a cooler. I looked for one. So Studios I just brought a bag. Wow, yeah. This is real. This is cocktail ice. You shouldn't it's, do that dude, for the this landlord. Is Italian imported hardwood, brother. What is yeah. Just dripping all over. <laughs> I am for sure slipping on this floor and breaking my ankle. Uh, no, we definitely. By the way, we received a a ice. loom video from one of our listeners about <clears throat> bourbon recommendations. I don't know if you listened to it, but you in fact uh, picked his go to. Well, I am whiskey. a bit of a low key bourbon aficionado, so I, you know, okay, I, okay. I know things. Okay, so you whipped together an old fashioned for us. I did. Lovely. I did. I even bulk made some here for later. Which Should is probably share, not going to turn uh, out well. Was, is Bob, is that his name? Should we share Bob's yeah. uh, Bourbon Alpha? That's the, the Bourbon Alpha. Elijah Craig, Elijah Craig is, your, is your, like, daily drinker, if you okay. will. Yeah, yeah, daily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, give a shout-out to our sponsor, Zbiotics. Thank you very much. Uh, go to zbiotics.com slash alfalfa for the discount code. It's 15% off your first purchase with any email address. Uh, for the price of a one drink, you can make sure all the other drinks uh, don't hurt you in the morning. Uh, Jordan, if you don't mind, can you spam a, a link in the chat if you don't mind? There have been a lot of uh, stories in the Discord of Zbotics saving some mm-hmm. some butts, so I thought I'd share a few. Oh, um, testimonials! Wow, testimonials! So, uh, Tom like Nom a true, uh, ecom expert. It says, uh, "What the fuck is this Zbotics Black Magic? I drink my standard Death Pours, and I feel great." <laughs> Death <horse. laughs> boy, Tom Nom. Uh, to do, Mo do. Just got from Aruba. Took two dozen bottles of Zbotics for the crew of eight for the festivities. Huge shit with the team. 
Even the TSA agent that flagged the bottles was down after a little explanation of what it's supposed to do. I'll leave out the uh, rated R content of that. I hope you gave him the, uh, <laughs> the uh, alpha alpha code uh, to do Mo. Uh, it's beef says, I was very skeptical of Zbiotics, but tried it for the first time this weekend. It was definitely helped. It definitely helped a lot. And Eth Beniger Scrooge, he was talking about the night before. Is this the one on Twitter? Oh, I didn't even mention the one there on Twitter. Good, there was some good banter on Twitter about there it, There was too. good banter. Yeah. But he mentioned, he's like, I'm going to put it through a test. I'm going to yeah. have X number of drinks. Well, I have he, a 615 he, he morning. results. And he said, Zbiotics is not 100% panacea, but it definitely does help off to my 615 a.m. Meeting, and I think that's the the real alphas. That what else could you ask for? Yeah, you still do your shit in the morning, get yeah, your workout dude, in. Rectum had like eight shots and seven or eight drinks, and he said he woke up and I'm sure it. he crushed his quad at workout like six o'clock or something. Those calf raises were. I heard he consumes like 400 highs. grams of protein a day. Eric was telling me. <laughs> what a maniac! What a maniac! Is Twelve cans of tuna. Twelve cans. <laughs> no, that still won't get you there. <laughs> it doesn't even get you there. <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, tried my first round of Zbiotics and it was great. Just woke up dehydrated, felt great. Zero uh, X bread guy. Thank you for the comment. Oh, Tom and Mom's here. Drank like a teenager on an adult budget. Thanks, Bio Nerds. Bio Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> From the like Bio that. Nerd himself. So uh, anyway, um, Zbiotics.com/alfalfa is where you can find the disco code. Use alfalfa at checkout, and that is it. I bought a twelve pack last weekend. Yeah, we have to, Stephen. We have to buy some for. Permissionless for sure, like a lot. Uh, you guys are leaving soon. You got to get on that. I know. Today's Wednesday. We leave Sunday. Yeah, you got to get on that, that today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steven, I, haven't bought, I haven't bought a plane ticket yet. Stephen can't oh, even. Yeah. Stephen just can't even. We all know this. Yeah, we know you can. <laughs> wow, you're gonna be back row, middle seat. Oh yeah, you're that's screwed, his, brother. Yeah. You I like don't care. I'm I'm so poor right now. I need to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's that was great. Rough. I like those little shows. Yeah, those are those are fun, and we've been getting them every There's week. So, many so of them. might as well share them. Better yeah. than uh, reading so, out. Some so, ad what script. happened is there was a bit of banter on on um, on uh, Twitter about X about this, and I think what was really interesting is just like the way people uh, look at any sort of alcohol um, helper. You know, helper is that they're usually like a sham of some sort. And people have just been burned so many times by these so-called, you know, alcohol helper, um, you know, remedies out there. And so uh, a lot of people are surprised because it's the first. That's why we that's why we were surprised. Yeah. Right. It was like first thing that ever worked. So, um, yeah, I think it was an interesting little back and forth. I think it was OX Brett uh, that was having the combo actually on Twitter about his little. Um, so. Let's leave uh, Stephen's melt-up thesis for last in our little money section. So oh, okay. who wants to go first? Got a little Disney talk. Oh, yeah. Startup like talk. I can yeah. warm up with Disney. Well, yeah, let's start there. Did okay. you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys watch television, but I'm like, I watch sports and stuff. So mm -hmm. I, don't I don't watch television. Should I just go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. Television? <laughs> Univision? Yeah. Uh, like cable. Like cable TV. Like I watch sports. Yes, no. right? right? I have YouTube TV. Does that count? Uh, well, what is what is sports? So yeah, what are, what are sports? Um, did you guys see that Disney is having a feud with um, Spectrum Cable, like Charter yeah. Communications? Disney's having a feud with everybody. I saw this this morning on on Morning Brew. I thought Stephen so would I'm like this particularly because it's like a, a very much like a go woke, go broke kind of conversation uh, okay. that you you love just shitting on Disney. Um, I do like shitting on Disney, <laughs> but like they deserve it. So they. Um, 
they pulled their content off of um, Charter Communications cable TV. So, like, I'm a subscriber. I, I want to watch ESPN. I want to watch uh, ABC, like college football. You can't watch it on ABC. You can't watch ESPN. Um, they, I think they also own Discovery, uh, National Geographic Channel. Wow. A couple other channels. They just pulled all the content off of uh, cable TV. And I was wondering what you guys think about this because on the one hand, you know, like I just want to watch my sports, but then I'm thinking about the business sort of ramifications. Like who do you think holds the, uh, the leverage in this situation? Like Disney, Disney creates the content or they own the content and they sell this to the cable provider. The cable provider sells subscriptions to consumers. Charter Communications pays Disney $2.2 billion a year. Whoa. For the for the content, so Disney is um, foregoing 2.2 billion dollars of revenue right now. Um, that comes out to six million dollars a day that they're not capturing. So um, go well, go broke. So I'm I'm curious, like when you were like ESPN is not on my channel station. Did you did you are you a Disney Plus subscriber already? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But so, but with my Hulu, like I have the Hulu, Disney, and ESPN Plus bundle. Yep. And I still can't watch regular ESPN or ABC oh, because ESPN Plus is its is, own thing. It's its own thing, so it's yeah. all siloed. So you had no place to get. Right, and then like I go to a bar to watch uh, my sporting event, and it's all kind of coming down to Monday Night Football, right? To see like people don't know yeah. like what's going to well, happen. Yeah, it now all and like then. I think. It's okay for now because it's like we missed like the Florida University football game, right. and that's like a big deal. But um, a bigger deal is Monday Night Football, and, yeah. that, and that is on no, ESPN. This is huge. So if, if I find this whole thing really fascinating, if like peop, I think uh, Charter Communications has thirty-two million subscribers, um, fourteen million of those are like cable TV subscribers. The other are just like broadband, you know, mm-hmm. cable mm-hmm. internet. But like if 14 million people can't watch Monday Night Football, I think there's going to be like mayhem in the streets. <laughs> and I'm wondering like, well, they can. I don't. I, I still can't they even tell. Get, they got to get themselves a little Disney ESPN Plus. No, yeah, but that you doesn't guys work. Know the internet ESPN Plus, thing, right? ESPN yeah, Plus he, doesn't work. I have it. Doesn't work. You can't watch regular ESPN on ESPN Plus. Okay, where can you watch regular ESPN? So like, maybe the, I, mis- like I misunderstood. Cable subscribers like myself have had to resort to like. Signing up for YouTube TV, Fubo TV. Okay, so you have to go through a different uh, cable slash internet uh, right. TV channel subscription. Because, service. like in our in our region, so it's not available in our region. Spectrum Cable is the cable provider, so yeah. it's like you, you can't just like even switch over to a different cable provider. You got to go like internet based. But then it. I'm thinking also like, but. <clears throat> Who owns my internet is fucking Charter so, Communications. Yeah, Tyler has a good question. Were you mad at the cable company or Disney? That's like, uh, Tyler, great question. Am I mad at the cable company or Disney? That's like what I'm trying to wrap my head around is like, who's at fault here? And I think it's like, I think it's both, but like um, probably the, the cable company, what I've, what I've learned is that they're trying to, uh, I mean, they're both holding each other hostage, essentially. Yeah. Uh, obviously, cable subscriptions have gone down. Uh, over the last five years, they've lost like 25% of their subscriber base. Everyone's like cutting the cord. Um, but I don't know, like at the 2. end of the day. $2.2 billion in just one. In, in my mind, it's always the distribution channel that ha- holds the leverage. So they're holding Disney hostage. Yeah. I mean, they. I think they hold the most leverage. Like 
And and for Disney, like well, the I content we're finding is finding out, right? Is this going to be a fixed cost thing? They're they're producing the content, and so yeah, they need that additional revenue. Why to help. do you feel that they have the leverage? Because Disney can create all the content, but it doesn't seem like they have another distribution channel Disney right Plus, now, bro. Yes, but that same content isn't available. I'm saying I'm a Disney Plus no, subscriber but, but, and but, I can't watch. No, but uh, that see, I wasn't would, listening to that. Part. That would be like the re they they would integrate it somehow and like that is the decision that they're making. They're they're basically saying you pay us what we think we need, or we'll go and find a different way to distribute this and feed it to customers. I mean, that's right. Yeah, like they would integrate it, or they'd bring it to ESPN Plus, or they do something I agree. beyond just and like oh, I think, we're just going to lose fourteen million people. So like one not thing, let that happen. I agree. One thing I've thought of though is like, um, you know, everyone's cutting the cord, right? But the cord for me still exists. Like I still have cable internet subscription through Charter Communications, right? Why? Why though? Is it well? Like, what else would you guys? Why use? do you not have YouTube TV? No, he's talking about his internet. No, so like, so, so you have you your internet and then you've added even the cable. to go to YouTube TV, you need an internet provider. AT&T Fiber. Charter Communications, my internet. You don't have provider. Fiber. It just no. happens to be his internet. Why don't you get Fiber? Well, yeah, AT&T. So you have an alternate, an alternate uh, solution by going Fiber, I guess. Yeah. Yes, you get like a thousand so thousand upload. You're welcome. It's so fast and cheap. Yeah. It's like fifty bucks. Problem for like solved. 500. I think both of these companies are absolute trash and we should just short them all to zero. I mean, yeah, Disney stock is in the fucking dumps. This turnaround has not been right. turning. So that's my other yeah. my other kind of take is that um, you have like what's actually happening and then you have the consumer response. And to Tyler's point, like who do you get mad at? I, I find that consumers are getting pissed off at Disney, even if they're not the one who's like, yeah, I like, I like the analysis hostage. of like imagining this as a secession episode, though. Like that's where my brain is immediately going. <laughs> I'm just imagining the phone calls. I'm imagining the back and forth between these two companies. I'm imagining all the proxy players involved and like how people are playing this. And that to me is really fascinating. This is a multi-billion dollar deal. I can imagine a very, very stressful, high stakes situation right now. That's where I, I, I like to go there now with this stuff in general. It's like after having seen Secession, at least I'm like, I'm just imagining how this plays out. And while I agree that the cable companies still have some sort of stranglehold on the market because of the distribution, because a lot of people still today struggle with the idea of cutting the cord and moving to something like YouTube TV, which I think is the preeminent winner. I think it's I think it's the best service. I think it gives you everything you need. And like Edmund is saying, it has all the sports. It has everything. You could do it through other alternate sources too, but the older generation finds that a little bit more challenging, difficult, not really comfortable. It's like one they'll extra do step. it. Yeah. yeah, they'll do it, but it's exactly. Mm -hmm. It's one extra step that I think they're like, I already have this relationship with my cable company. Like, just make it easy for it's, me. So you, we're at a, we're at you, a huge you, you just reminded me, I really have to cancel my YouTube TV. By the way, this is the best thing about YouTube TV that people don't talk about. It is so easy to like turn on and turn off. Like if I had to cancel anything with like Cox or somebody, it I have to pick up the phone and call like oh, yeah, a human. Right. It's just like the worst experience. They're gonna ever. like try no, to convince you. But to like, like YouTube TV is like you just you just go to a website and you turn it off. And then when you want to watch some sports, like oh this is gonna be a big month, I just like resubscribe get one month. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Now I bought it for the the Bachelorette, you know, but <laughs> yeah, of course um, you did. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, over now. So. I saw, um, don't watch it, and I just have it on, and that just shows how the Bachelorette. No, YouTube you TV. You have it on the background? It's like a little background YouTube music TV. while you work. I need to cut some subscriptions. I saw uh, Barry Diller. He was commenting on the, um, the writers and actors strike. And his advice 
to the big studios was cut Netflix, cut all these streaming companies out of the negotiations and and just get it done. Like they're your enemy. Cut them out. Work directly with them. Don't make sure they don't have any say. He also went on to say that he thinks people should double down on these uh, cord, uh, you know, old school, the old school, because like he thinks that basically the distribution will like, you know, the rate of decrease will slow down and it just provides like a cash cow. Like you should focus on those distribution channels while still growing your subscriber base. But I imagine for Disney Plus, like their customer acquisition costs must be through the fucking roof. And they're hoping on like a long LTV and it must be massively negative if you just pull that out on its own PL. Probably doesn't look so hot. And probably that $2.2 billion is like that cash flow is funding this business. But what greater like PR if you literally just cut your content from, you know, all these distribution channels and people are forced. I don't know. I feel like people are feeling alienated because I'm kind of on, uh, I think Steven was early to this yet again. Like I'm feeling like uh, I see Disney as kind of like the Bud Light scenario. It's just like alienating its, it's like core user base. I'm I'm so, I'm so mad. I missed that trait. Like when when Bud Light did that, Bud Light and Target, I was like, Oh, they're dead. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, they're dead. Um, Like I, I, I just knew they were dead. I like uh, my family is those people. Like I went home a couple of weeks ago and people were talking about Di- like if I bring up Disney in front of my family, just hate it. Really? Just, uh, yeah. They just shit all over it. Like this company is alienated like almost half the, com- half the country. It's like a weird phenomenon where I feel like a lot of these companies don't realize that they've that. like shat upon half of their customer base yet. Although, like, the stock market has sort of realized it. And I, like, wondered the ramifications of this going forward as, like, a sort of investment thesis. Because there's a lot of people to sort of can we have a short, shut out. Can we have a short uh, politics sidebar on this? Uh, like, right now? Yeah, right now. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. What's up? Okay. <laughs> so do you think that that is avoidable? You know, is it possible as a company to be agnostic and truly circumvent being judged and dividing and having a customer base determine if you are for them or against them in today's age. I'm really looking forward to watching an episode of Eric Weinstein that I saw come out recently about how truth is, you know, it's one of those conversations we love to have, like truth being up for grabs, no objective truth, avoid it at all, any opinion they have any decision they make okay, let, 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 let because let me everything ask, let me is so political i know, so I, I, know, know where you're going. I want to know like, what you think about that I, like imagine like the closest 100 people you know how many of them would be upset if disney like had too few gay characters in cartoons to know. the point where they would like cancel disney how many that i know yeah probably a good amount if like, i I'm, I'm not saying like I'm saying like too few. Like there's like some slight underrepresentation. You you think they would literally just stop watching Disney well, altogether? That's like a passive act. It's not a it's not a yeah active act. So if they were like we're not going to have them, then they definitely can't no no no. Them. There's a difference between Disney right. being like ah eh, we're not into the whole gay thing, so we're just gonna sure. write that out. That would obviously be a terrible move. Right? Yes, um, but Disney's cutter. They've gone so far that they're like actively pandering. Where they have an opportunity to just like be like Switzerland in a way and just sort of sit back. So you do think that they could be Switzerland? Absolutely. I, I think that there's only 
5% of their customer base like cares so much that they would like adamantly cancel a boycott or whatever if there was just like not like a pandering to them. Like I'm not saying yeah. Disney should like pander to the right. I'm yep. just saying like they shouldn't pander well, like, to like but, the like but the far like left. could have not had that opinion and had that advertisement. They could have just stuck could to have uh, avoided their everything. their their yeah. wheelhouse, which was their like lane. Well, the uh, Bud Light thing is that was that was just an issue of like and chain of football. command in the corporation. Like some manager approved the thing, and it's it's a big company, and you don't see. It. And by the time it everybody notices it, it's it's too late. It's yeah. gone viral, and then the, your customer it base seems hates like you. a good idea. I'm sure at the time to so them. So, like do you think there's wonder. like an equal and opposite uh, to the term "go woke, go broke"? Do you think there's like also like "go woke" and like get paid? Like, is there also <laughs> that? There was. Yeah, there's this go the there's go woke and get paid. Like, if you started with like a tiny market share and you were able to jump into a market and capture a bunch of customers who are like feel disenfranchised from the right end of the spectrum, right? But if you start from the point where you service the entire population, like all of the kids and parents in the country basically like Disney, then it's obviously a bad business decision to like plant your flag and either the left or the right because of the current political climate. This is correct. You're just going to incinerate from half zero, your market class. You can cap. go rich very quickly. No, it's a great strategy it's if you're like strategy. some sort of niche company and you want to yeah. go from nothing to like capturing some part of the market. Yeah. But if you're a brand that serves everybody, it, it seems like really bad. And there's probably more of these plays like in both directions just from like an investment perspective where you can probably short some things or buy some other things. Um, okay. I don't know what those are at the moment, but like yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch Disney stock with like a 10-foot pole just from my experience interacting with people, you know, yeah. in, in my hell social stock, circle. Has like I I, ex- I I I know exactly what they say about everything and how they feel. They've got some great assets. Like, don't like, like oh, it's been there's it's a price. been one of the highest performing companies They're in the last to peel decade, off, man. Uh, ESPN. ESPN's going to be sold off, but like there's a ABC. price at which you'd want to own Disney. Like you know, if you're saying that it's like maybe too high price now, they do have great assets within that company. There's a price at which you'd want to own it. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Steven. You're welcome. Cool. It scratched my... I'll talk Man U. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about Man U? Oh, yeah. We can do a little victory lap. Manchester United. Uh, well, I guess it's like a, a victory lap in that we correctly identified... You bought uh, the bottom, you sold the top. Yeah, and that was cool. Well done. I think we identified that... Uh, Kudos. They're not going to sell that, that business for anything less than uh, an astronomical... Yeah, so I don't, I don't know when it was, like six weeks ago, maybe? Six episodes ago? I forget which episode it was, but... Uh, I, and I think like three months ago, you said, hey, I like this stock. They could potentially have a chance to sell. You said, the, you know, this is what the market's valuing at. Here's my, like... You know, back of the napkin valuation, it was clearly undervalued. Stock started to go up, started to realize that value. And then I think you, I don't know how you. Well, some of the, uh, some of the Discord members like played that, played that trade and uh, talked about the call options they bought and made yeah. some money on that. I think I want to open up a little options corner about this because um, how I played this just recently. I think on Monday or Tuesday, um, Manchester United, the, the owner said, hey, we're not, we're not actually going to sell the business anymore. So the stock tanked. It, it dropped like 20% in a day. And, uh, you know, in the options game, you look at something like that, that's volatility. Like, mm-hmm. I look at that and I say, perfect time to sell puts. So we talked about the valuation before. You know, Manchester United is uh, valued at like $4 billion enterprise value today. Probably undervalued slightly, but I'm selling the, the 16, 15, 14 puts, the 16 strike, 15 strike, 14 strike puts, get paid on those because like volatility is high. We know the Black Shoals model. 
pays you for volatility. It's right. a huge lever. So um, I'll just take any opportunity like that to capture some premium. And how did you know like five or six weeks ago that you're like, hey, I just want to give you guys an update. I'm out on this because it doesn't look like they're going to sell. But how did you... Well, I talked to you guys about it. And I said, would you guys sell in this in this environment where we're we're spending a billion dollars? Like Saudi is is offering a billion dollars to one player, Kylian Mbappe. They offered a billion dollars to come play for like three years. I'm saying, I I think we just talked about it. We said, if you were the the owners of Manchester United and they're offering a billion dollars to one player, would you sell your whole franchise for five billion? Probably no. not. Probably not. And uh, yeah. you know, cool. I think we we land on the same the same place. But for me, this was just like, it's more of an options play. Like I think selling Manchester United is right now, $19 and change. If you're able to sell puts at 15, $15 strike, I'm getting like a hundred dollars per contract. Ooh, that's juicy, juicy. And another thing about options too, like, um, these things get extra juicy when, um, a stock's price is very like low in terms of like just that unit bias, like a $15 stock, you're on every contract, you're on the hook for a hundred shares. It's only $1,500 if it, if it gets put to you. Yeah. So like you can just load up on those. It's a great Lovely. return. Well, anyway, I just want to bring it up because it had a big move yesterday and uh, you made a good call on it. So. Yeah, we like to celebrate our wins. Yeah. Uh, you remember when the we, Saudis we were bidding? Job of it. You remember the Saudis bidding meme from last year in crypto? <laughs> bidding on Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that didn't happen. They're yeah. just bidding Salute on emoji. There. Yeah, they're just bidding on soccer Not players. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they um, went full sports, man. Yeah, they went, there, they went the other direction. Well, I think it's um, more timeless. It's less cyclical. If they could just allocate a couple of just a couple of players to some buys, you know, just just a couple, couple of players, just a couple, Bitcoin. just a few billion. I mean, they you know? they're floating that uh, fifty billion dollar uh, raise for Saudi Aramco. They're going to try to sell fifty billion dollars worth, really, of stock. They got to do it on the Kuwaiti stock exchange, so it's a little weird. But I think I remember um, when I was looking at that, it was like the most valuable company in the world. It is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's private, so yeah, hard to value, but. Um, all right, let's move on. So you want to go through some startup credit tax? Yeah, I like the corner. Uh, Options corner. There. Options corner. We're going startup corner. Something that I've been um, It's more like options on wall. It's <laughs> a <laughs> startup corner. Um, something that I think is really interesting, and definitely some alpha there, and that I've been working on really um, closely. I always allocate like a certain amount of my time running my company toward this. There are a lot of incredible like perks out there. And I think that this applies to, and by perks, I mean like credits that you can acquire from the types of software and tools that you need to run your company on a day-to-day -day basis. So what are that some can examples? save you millions of dollars. So like your email service provider, like your hosting company that you host your website on or you uh, have your database, you know, you... Servers, right? Like AWS, servers, Google AWS, Cloud. Google Cloud. This could be like Segment where you funnel all your data. It could be like... Um, Slack mix even, panel, right? Oh, yeah, mix panel. Like where one. you understand user engagement and metrics. It could be Slack. And you Absolutely. can get this for free. You can if... Do you guys know the concept of the third door? Oh, dude, we uh, met the author of this book. Oh, you were with me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good we, we were at a, fuck, what conference? Was, it was like a we were at retreat. Summit. 
summit uh, in Tulum, and it was a bunch of guys, and we got sat next to this guy. He's like, I'm yeah. writing a book called The Third Door. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, it's like... He's like a famous author now. Yeah. The, the, the first, he hadn't published it yet. He, what? When we met him... Oh, yeah, he hadn't published it He had it not yet. published oh, okay. it yet. Yeah. So the first door is like the common door that everyone takes, and then there's always like a side door that you can get into the Second door, the club. VIP. Yeah, VIP. Pay extra. So hold on. You're talking about... Uh, a way to like talk to somebody or talk to someone, get in somewhere, to get anything in life, to to be successful. Like he analyzes the story of all the great thinkers, like Steve Wozniak and Oprah Winfrey and whoever, and looks at the commonality and determines after these interviews that they all utilize the third door, and the third door is the one that is invisible to everybody else. It's climbing through the kitchen window of the restaurant and sneaking in and grabbing a seat. It's not paying the VIP. It's not waiting in the front line. And every great leader So hold on. Using, your, using your example of like AWS or whatever, how would you uh, access the third door there to, to get the... Yeah. So I bring up the third door because I think that it's a, it's a prerequisite to entrepreneurship. And if you are not the type of person who's going to be resourceful and willing to be embarrassed and willing to take risks and willing to be uh, a little bit cutthroat in your devotion toward getting results and being resourceful, I think that's like a high reason like that you would fail. Because if you're walking through the first door, you're standing next to every other Joe and like you're fucked. Like you're, you're just like, you're at the back of the line. And if you think that you're gonna do it with money, and resources, then you need to go and make or raise at extreme valuations and have $20 million in the bank so that you can go and pay to be at the front of the line and get the tools that you want the way that you want and or not worry about budgets. So the way that most entrepreneurs need to roll, that most founders need to roll, is they need to understand the third door. So once you understand that, and great book, by the way, the author's name is Alex Benayan, and um, it's called The Third Door. Phenomenal read, very inspiring. I remember when we went to... New Zealand, I gave it to one of our friends, Jason, and he was like, dude, this fucking book was unreal. Yeah. So there's a lot of credits out there. And one of the things that is very actually frustrating is that they, a lot of the large companies out there, like Mixpanel and Google and Amazon, reserve their free credits for companies that are venture-backed. So I, I always found this, and I still find it, really backwards, they ultimately are only giving the $100,000, $50,000 in credits to the ones that went and raised money from the prestigious venture capital funds to then come to say, after you've now raised your millions of dollars, we'll also give you credit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wait, wait, who are you trying to help here? The ones that are well-funded. The yeah, ones thanks. that are well-funded <laughs> or the ones that really need it. Yeah, It's very backwards. So before I as of this week and tech stars and all these things, I have spent the last two, three years playing this credit game. And the way you do it is that you look up these different companies and the tools that you wanna use. And oftentimes they do have a publicly facing startup program, but what it generally takes is obviously applying, but getting in touch with those teams and asking for exceptions. Part of the third door is to learn to ask people for exceptions, to ask people to be human, to tell them your story and be like, hey, I'm Armand Asadi. You know, I started this company all by myself. I've put in this much money into it. I'm really trying to make it. You know, we have a small budget, blah, blah, blah. And was wondering if you'd be willing to, you know, accept us into your credit program for a year. 
so that while we get funded and while we make some progress, blah, 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 tell your story. Have ChatGPT write your goddamn story. <laughs> I mean, that's the easy part. Don't but the that. hard part is having the courage <laughs> to step up and take action and get these things. And the reason I'm telling you to do this, because first of all, this is not just for startups, right? There are so many people out there that just want to have some kind of a side hustle. They just want some credits from Shopify or some credits from Stripe or some credits from whatever it might be, their email service provider. You can save hundreds of thousands of dollars. You got to give some I, of these examples that you well, like yeah, who do you, send grid or well, who do you like reach you know, out to? Like who? Like is it an email? Team. Yeah, is it an email. Yeah, typically? I mean me. Yeah. I hit them on Twitter. I hit them on email. I go to LinkedIn. I look up people that work at You're the finding, company. Like, the individual. Dude, that I got a hundred thousand dollars from Google when I shouldn't have. I probably was in contact with them. Dude, first I went to my old friend, old friends that work there. They were like, no, we're not in Google Cloud. Then I went to our current friend yep. that works in Google Cloud. He connected me to somebody. That person was like, no, you're not in A16Z. You're not in these VCs, so we can't give it to you. I'm like, fuck you, man. So then I went to another person and another person and another person. And then finally, I don't even remember because I made so many chess moves. I got it. So you, you got $100,000. I got $100,000. So we used that toward GPUs in the cloud and AI and infrastructure to scale our company. We used it toward all kinds of things. Like it's been huge for us. So that's pretty nuts. You can, actually. it's out yeah, there. It's, you just have to push. You just have to, to go. And some of them, like I said, are publicly facing. You don't have to go and network. They're available. You just have to look. Azure right now has i'm sorry what <laughs> dude that's that's i'm sorry no i'm actually i'm really sorry that's i should never ever say it like that um can i even say it now say the line has azure has like a tw you can you get 10 for free right away and they have a system where and by the way if you go through azure if you're basically getting open ai credits right yeah you're getting access to open ai you're getting access to hosting infrastructure cloud all kinds of things through microsoft and you can get 10 right they have a rolling system so they just want to see that you're using it you can go right now go look up like I can't even do it anymore. You look up like Azure for companies for startups and you'll see the page. It's like, start using, we'll give you 10K. You show some usage, we'll give you 25. You keep using, we'll give you 100. And they're like a little bit more lenient about who's funded you and things like that. You just have to show that you're utilizing it. Mixed so panel, $50,000 you can get right now, wow. mixed panel. Well, let me ask you guys, um, you guys are like the entrepreneurs in the group. Like, is that sort of like the drug dealer sort of giving away oh, totally. a dime bag? I mean, Be like, here you go, here. It's a drug dealer, this. crack dealer like, approach to marketing. We yeah, always yeah. talk about it. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. you get them hooked on it because, like, at, at the early stage, you're building out your infrastructure and the switching costs are incredibly high. Like, even like something like Slack, you know, you just yeah. build your internal communications off it. And I think they're like, well, these venture back companies, they're probably going to grow. And once we get them hooked, they're not going to be able to get off. They're going to have other things to worry about. They're also going to have the money. Yeah, they're to, to pay for the bill when it comes. Most of these companies becoming successful. So enough. that's why they want to fund the the VC back because it's like, well, there's more behind that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's so exactly right. It's it's a brilliant approach, but it's also for the taking too, and they're happy to give it to you, but you got to use the third door. Yep. Um, okay. Cool. So uh, Stephen was asking the, the reason we came up with some of these topics is like Stephen was asking us like, well, what are you guys doing this week in your 
personal lives. Yeah, he was like, what's going on in your world? Yeah, how, how are you guys yeah, doing today? How are you? And uh, Eric's like, well, I'm thinking about Disney stock and and Armand's working on some of these credits. And I was like, I don't know, I'm just managing from the P&L like uh, I normally do. And so I figure I give a little uh, run through of kind of what that looks like. So I typically manage from the P&L. Ooh, are we screening? Can we zoom in? Ooh. Yeah, we got to zoom. Yeah, we'll throw this up in a second. Live P&L. Is that a P&L? It's not a live one. It's a a mock one I created. Oh, come on. Give us a real P&L. So closed off. Yeah. Pro pro forma. (laughs) (laughs) I would never fucking do that. Um, Man. So it's called just vulnerability. Add three zeros, though. everyone. Just add three zeros. <laughs> oh, you're gonna have to add more zeros than that, bro. Forty. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Forty-one dollars um, oh, in expenses. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, <laughs> come on. So if if you're starting out, you're probably managing from the cash flow statement, right? Because you're just starting out. You're trying to make ends meet. Or if you're in wartime, wartime CEO switches to managing from the cash flow statement. Fuck the PL. Just survive, right? And I've had. I, I feel like that's the first time we've mentioned that. You have to define wartime, peacetime. See, I mean, dude, wartime could be a bunch of different things. Like you're getting just shellacked in the market. Like you had a massive revenue drawdown. You're on the verge of doing a layoff, or maybe you're about to do a layoff, and it's wartime. And you literally, I usually that time, we have like this uh, monthly, you know, or like a 13 week cash flow forecast. It switches to a fucking daily. I've had that moment where it's like. Wow, things are getting tight. We're switching to a daily wow, you go to the cash low time flow frame forecast. There. That yeah, is low- uh, the battlefront. That Jeez. is uh, yeah, and like who cares? Chart, who cares about the P and L and when revenue is recognized and expenses are recognized and EBITDA? Fuck that. Accrual accounting. Yeah, <laughs> is there enough cash? And you're often doing that in the beginning as you're starting out. But like you said, like could be a recession, could be something happen in your business. So. This is not for wartime. This is for when you might have like a, a business that already exists. So Jordan, you can throw up that that mock PL up on there. So let's do a, a basic run through of this. So basically you have revenue and you might have things like refunds or adjustments. So you have net revenue there. Every business got some kind of cost of sales or cost of goods for, for this. It might be merchandise purchases or you know your fulfillment if you're sending physical products out. Could be like sales commissions or referral fees you're paying if you're a different type of, of business. And uh, you take that net revenue minus that cost sales, you got your, your gross profit, right? Uh, next, you have your variable expenses. So these expenses go up and down with your revenue. So a typical thing might be your growth engine, like advertising for some businesses. The more you advertise, the more your revenue. The less you advertise, less revenue you might make. Um, other things that might go up and down with revenue, payment processing is kind of like a common one. Mm. As your revenue goes up, that goes up with it. Um, could be product software that's volume-based. Like, I don't know, Mixpanel might be one. The more volume you do, the more that goes up. Could be your CRM, whatever it is. So those are your variable expenses. When you take your revenue and you subtract your variable expenses, you get this really uh, valuable metric that most companies don't, don't use is your contribution margin. And that's the money that's left over to pay for your fixed expenses or your operating expenses. So why, bel- don't, why don't they use it? What do you mean by that? I mean, that? it's just kind of like a, like a, a finance. Often? It's a finance term. Like term. It, you don't really yeah. think about it much, but it's useful. And I'll tell why it's, it's useful later. Um, but then you have your typical operating expenses. So it might be your salary, your office expense, your legal fees, rent, utility, travel, meals, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you get your uh, total expenses and then your operating profit, what we, what we really care about. Okay. So the biggest thing you need to know is what are your benchmarks for your business? So whatever business you're in, and even if you're an uh, entrepreneur inside of a business, 
or you're actually operating a business, you need to know what those benchmarks are. So you'll see in there, there's some little blue italicized percentages. Can you zoom Gross. in a little, Jordan, as well? Yeah, hit that if command possible. plus. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Um, so what we're looking at there is like gross profit margin, your contribution margin. You might want to know your operating expenses as a percentage of your total revenue and your operating profit. And when we started our business, I didn't know what those were supposed to be for an e-commerce company. But there's a lot of places you can look. Like the first place is network with other business owners. Just talk to friends and, and ask them, like, what is this percentage for you? Uh, you know, for an e-commerce business, it's really good to know as a percentage of revenue, how much are you spending on advertising? So like that one's got its own little percentage line item because that's a key metric. Um, another one, talk with a banker or a business broker and just say like, hey, I intend to sell my business one day. What are the metrics I need to hit? And I would, if you're gonna, if you think you're gonna sell in the next three years, have a phone call with a banker. They're more than happy to take your call. You might be a little early, way early, but you could give them your story, and they'll be like, okay, these are the metrics you need to hit, and they know them if they're a banker in your industry. So that's a really good source. Um, that's very good alpha. We're by the way. we're also. Uh, listed as buyers and a lot of business brokers. So we get other e-commerce businesses sent our way that are selling. And of course, we'll sign the NDA. And the first thing we do is pull up the financials and be like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's where they're at. Oh, that's where we're at. Oh, shit. We can improve this line item. Like we're way overpaying for this or we're really good at this line item. So that's another good intel for data. You're not violating the NDA. You're not sharing it with anyone. You're just using it for your own business and mm. and whatnot. And then the last place, it's not as helpful, but you can look up public companies and just see where their ratios are. Public companies' P&Ls are fucking cooked to no end uh, with all kinds of adjustments and whatnot, but um, that's where you can find your benchmarks. So every month and every quarter, we go through this and we decide our priorities based on this. So the first places are your areas of growth. These are the easy ones, the things you're probably spending 80% of your time doing, which is like, can we grow at the same rate? So can we spend more money in advertising and grow at the same efficiency or the same ROI? And uh, if you do that, if revenue goes up, that contribution dollar amount goes up. And that's called operational leverage. So your, your overhead stays flat, but you're able to deliver more revenue that, that passes down to the contribution margin. And if your operating expenses stay the same, then your net profit uh, goes, goes up. The other idea is like you just get more efficient at your... Uh, growth engine or your ROI. So maybe you spend less on advertising, but revenue stays the same. I tend to think these are really high impact because they have impact on the top line, but they require some like really skilled execution. So probability of executing, eh, I don't know, middle of the road, or else you would have already done these things if, if they were pretty uh, high probability execution things. And then we, you know, the rest of the PL is about decreasing expenses. And those are high impact um, and probably high probability of execution. So I, I really like those ones. Like I like decreasing cost of goods sold any chance I get, because once I negotiate that agreement, the probability of that actually showing up in the P&L in the following months is high probability, right? It's mm. just simple, simple math. Um, other variable expenses like, uh, say, payment processing or product software, those are good, good impact. Again, high probability of success. Um, and then operating expenses. Those are tough. You know, if you look at your operating expenses, some of those are growth focus and some of those are like longevity, risk management. You know, if you ever have an AR, HR manager, you're like, well, they're not really growth oriented, but like I kind of need one at some point. I need my meals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, and this is sush. where this is where that contribution margin percentage, percentage? <laughs> comes in. So if you're considering new overhead, 
you know, how do you evaluate it? How do you decide, should I bring on this new overhead? And one way is to take the proposed amount of overhead that you're going to be adding on to your P&L and divide it by your contrib contribution percentage. So if you're going to add a dollar yeah, of operating expense, divide by, in this mock-up P&L, the contribution margin is 42%. Divide by 42%, that equals 24 so that dollar of overhead better deliver two point four dollars of, of value of net revenue. Yeah, and if it doesn't, it's not worth it. So let me ask you this. So I, I like about that in a long time. I like the That's good. I like the way you approach it. So you have like probability and magnitude. Yeah. What I want to ask you is, um, what are the the highest leverage levers in in that mix that you just explained? Yeah, I mean, one thing that we've experienced is like revenue has grown, right? In our efficiency at that growth or the ROI off that ad spend has stayed roughly the same. So imagine that operating expenses have stayed flat. The variable expenses go up with it, but that, that, that contribution margin staying right at 42%, but now it's working off of a much bigger number. So we've just seen profit margin go up because revenue has just increased. So that's like, that's yeah. the one you want to have. Cause <laughs> the it, answer is always make more money. It, it feels good. <laughs> it feels good. And it actually drops quite a bit to, to the bottom line. I think that's always the best lever. But, um, you know, there are other things in the business. You know, I have a, a business partner or multiple business partners and like he's more they're more the growth business partners. And I'm playing a CFO kind of role in this business, played the opposite in other businesses, but this role. Hmm. So, like, I like looking at those ones where I can cut some variable expenses or fixed expenses because they're high probability execution. It's, yeah, you know that you can cut them. Yeah. And it, and it gives them uh you know, leeway. So when we add a dollar of overhead, we like to see, can this person or this overhead generate $4 in net revenue? I feel like sushi can generate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sushi meals, definitely high what's ROI. Sushi, what's your sushi quota? Uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, give us one Well, number. so every, every, every quarter we go through Not all the expenses mercury. and like, we're like, ooh, that little $89 software a month charge, fuck that. And then yeah. like the <laughs> the travel and meals and entertainment line item is <laughs> I never know, heard of that hefty. by the way. That's really cool that you you divide the the expense. The right? expense divided by contribution margin yeah, should be your threshold for yeah, for like what like do you hire that? And yeah. it's hard, right? Cuz like that. if we hire this person, are they going to generate four times their salary and well, you don't know, but at least it gives you a framework. Well, you said the word specifically will they generate $2.20 of revenue? Right. Did did you like did you mean revenue or did you mean value? Cuz No, that, revenue. Cuz revenue is easier to identify. Value is harder. Yeah, I mean there's two buckets you put it in. There's actual growth and then there's like the longevity and yeah. risk management portion of your business too. So you can do this with not just operating expenses but your fixed monthly recurring expenses like people, payroll. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when we that's hire more, someone that's more, that's really what you want. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it's less might, useful for the operating expenses, right? I, I think it is useful for payroll. I mean, that's one it's yeah. most useful for is, can you apply this to, um, your personal life? Like, uh, if you want to add like a, like a new gym membership or something, but you have like some, yeah, some that's a good question. Metric, I mean, like, like in our life, we have variable expenses and we have fixed expenses and you have yep. your revenue, your income, the, the good thing about typically your variable expenses, they typically don't go up and down. Well, they don't go up as your income goes up. But yeah, you could. Like, if I... Would you hold yourself to the same rigor? Maybe. Like in your personal life? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think there's like the utility factor that yeah. comes into play other than like how much money am I going to 
profit every single month. But yeah, if your rent's going to go up $500, you should be able to calculate your personal contribution margin, which is your income minus your variable expenses and be like, shit, in order to cover this $500 extra in rent, I need to generate X amount of dollars because my variable expenses are, you know, whatever percent of, uh, that's pretty of my epic. income. That's so. hard to do. Well, we need to we need to discuss this. Um, how do you guys? What does your personal P and L look like? Where do you do it? How do you do it? Rich. <laughs> Wait, do you a spreadsheet guy or you're a spreadsheet guy? Obviously. Next. Yeah. Uh, Wait, no. you, seriously? Like, how do you how do you do it? Yours? Do you use a software? Like. Wait. What do you what? What? Hi. You need to repeat the question for Stephen. Okay. You like keep track of the money okay. you spend. How? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, brother. That's that's the question, Tiger. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Heavy so hitting you, question you, there, Steve. Yeah. Are, you, are you drunk? I like this. Okay, so so actually, this this hit home, right? Because the way I, I do this spend is I my yeah. money. <laughs> Mario is here. <laughs> so once a year, I do taxes, uh-huh. and then I look at all the stuff, and I go, "Oh my god, what have I done?" Okay, and then I and the then Stevens I make some changes. I was actually doing that today because okay. you know I have to pay taxes in like. Oh, three is that days. why you're quote unquote poor now? No. Okay. No, that's another reason. Um, (laughs) One of the many reasons. (laughs) So many reasons. Um, Yeah, I just um, I wait until I see a thing on my credit card statement, and I go, "Oh my god, what is that?" Uh huh. Yeah. Like I just realized I was paying. Look at your statement. I don't look at my statement. Yeah, the paper one. It's a bit of a shock, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You look at the paper statement or online. What's your I, I look at it in the app. Okay. Like sometimes right. I'm like, there's no fucking way I spent all that money. And then I open it up and I go, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Dispute. Dispute. <laughs> uh-huh. I remember. Uh-huh. I remember. Oh, Ooh, shouldn't have done that. Mm. So then what is your reaction to those things that are like, okay, I think I went a little overboard or that's outside of my budget or what do you, what do you react with since it's, Yeah. I usually uh, whip myself. <laughs> like the guy from uh, was that good self talk? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Usually, and then yeah. seven hail marys will get you get you straight. Yeah, I'm, a big, I'm straight a big I'm a big self flagellator for sure. Oh my god! Um, but I feel like you're you're very organized about some things. Like you you have like systems, right? So okay, I'm very organized use... about one out of eighty things that I do. Yeah. So this is not one of them then. No, right now. Okay. no, it's bad. Do you use any software? No. Okay. No Truebill or no Mint or anything no. like that. Okay. No. What about you, Nick? I used to use Mint, but it didn't. Yeah, I gave up. Create Mint. like a P and L like I wanted. Personal um, capital. It also didn't uh, work with all the uh, real estate limited partnerships. <laughs> so anyway, what I do is like every quarter, every six months, I just look at all the expenses. And uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I keep, I keep looking at the you chat. Gotta, gotta like, keep, keep eyes. <laughs> chat will get you. Uh, uh, fucking chat. The pickleball expenses are getting out of hand, Stephen. Yep. I left. I loved at the patio furniture. Chonsky, one. He bought lawn furniture. I actually did buy a bunch of furniture, and I actually that hit home because I looked at the credit card statement. I was like, "What the? F- oh, that's right. I bought furniture." Spent all my money on Azure. <laughs> <laughs> and the accent's even there. Um, I like looking at it like over quarters because like 
your monthly expenses aren't they're seasonal yeah right like you have certain times of the year where like there's more expenses due and like travel might happen three two or three times a year and like yeah. i like to average those out across the months so like i don't know i just look at last six months look it out divide by six and be like okay that's what i'm spending per month it's also you, tough because like i have the the holding company entity and like yeah, some expenses go in there, but uh, yeah, in general, just try to. Average I have it two out. different apps that I really like. So you introduced me many years ago to Personal Capital. Yep. Personal Capital became Empower. It's still the same app. They just got acquired. Great app for measuring net worth, for tracking all of your different accounts, seeing all your investments. You can manually enter various holdings, like I own this shit coin or this <laughs> NFT, and assign a value to it. Man, at one point I had NFTs in there worth a hundred grand. Yeah, I had to go in there and reassign them down to like every penny, five hundred dollars. They're worth nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're really worth nothing. <laughs> um, so that's great. And then for budget, I don't like it for budgeting though. So I use a different app for like transactional data and budgeting called Rocket Money. Um, Rocket Money, True Bill was acquired by Rocket Money, so they became. Rocket was its own thing, but they required Truebill. So uh, Rocket Money is a great app. It's it's mobile and desktop, and I think it's awesome. And Jordan just threw the links in the, uh, in the chat if anyone's interested. But what I like Rocket Money for is like being able to set budgets by category. I never meet them. I always go over them, of course. But it's really nice to just be able to see and categorize things in a better way than you. It's like a better version of Mint. It's like I took two different apps to kind of recreate what I wanted Mint to really do. I keep like a and... personal balance sheet that I update every week. Mm -hmm. Just like... Do you guys buy your life income and expenses, sort of like your checking account versus like your investment account? Because I, I do this and I, I think it's like... I don't think it's optimized, but I, I find myself doing this where it's like uh, investment income. I tend to keep in the investment account. I don't like bring it to myself. And I, I look at it as like... Oh, I sold a bunch of uh, options. Now I have this like puddle of money to play with, and I oh now I can like YOLO on some Coinbase leaps. Or... Yeah, you're gonna roll it into something that's yeah, in the yeah, investment yeah. category. So I, f I find myself, I guess, like bifurcating. You know, I have like bifurcating the... literally in your spreadsheet or like what I do you mean yeah by yeah that? like I have two different ones. One okay. is for like personal uh, yes, life, and definitely. then I have like the investment one where like. I'm I'm also managing like a PNL of investments, which is like yeah. not really. I would like imagine your personal PNL is like income you generate, expenses you have, and just making sure you're within certain limits of yeah, where yeah. you want to be. Yeah, and that's pretty straightforward. Whereas your investment is like your portfolio. There's the cash component. There's what you're currently invested in. And there's, there's like an income trading, component to that. There's an income component, but it all stays in that bucket. Yeah, yeah. You don't let it seep from one bucket to the other because if you do. Yeah, but I don't think that that's like a, an optimized way to look at it. Like you should probably look at your at your holistic nah, finance I don't situation so. as like, uh, you know, like you would identify here's what I well, want to risk and here's what I don't. What and it's Empower like Personal Capital does for me is allows me to get a holistic view. But mentally, I keep them separate because I don't yeah. want that. Yeah, you don't want to like dip into your right. investment no. stash to pay your travel bills. Ideally, right. right. Exactly. But yeah, like I exclude from the balance sheet, I exclude all the, you know, inside of the portfolio income, it just stays in there, yeah. except the the real estate that I, that used. you take yeah, into the mailbox. Yeah, yeah. In the mailbox. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. That's good. Let's, That's uh, good. 
Let's uh, yeah. let's move on. And and uh, if you guys have other like personal finance topics, oh, like, I would love we, we love talking about that stuff. Some personal um, finance alpha. From yeah, people. it'd be good to uh, dish it out, and maybe we could chat about it on a future pod. Uh, before we go into the next topic, um, do us a favor. If you're here with us right now, hit the like button. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like oh, button. I'll do it. Do us a favor. I'll like the video. All right, Stephen. <laughs> uh, can you introduce the melt up thesis to us? Wasn't there a guy on Twitter who was just like the melt up guy, who was just constantly calling for like two X on the S and P, and he got like memed out of oblivion? I think you're talking about uh, Dave H. Contrarian. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's got a very memeable face too. I mean, Dave has been calling for melt ups for a while. I think. To his credit, he was the only guy who was bullish in the entirety of Twitter, I think, like last October. So maybe kind of a... Is he like the opposite of Nuriel Rabini, who's the perma bear? Yes. Yes, he's the anti-Nuriel. I hope Nuriel doesn't invest his money. He probably has no money left anymore. (laughs) Or it's like buried in his backyard or something. I don't know. Um, All right, hit us with it. Are you going to tell me what the melt and the up of melt up is? Because then I'll, then we'll just fly. <laughs> well, seriously, I'm sure a lot of people don't know what a melt-up is. No, no, no. So, I mean, my main goal with this segment was to say something so stupid that would be... It. Every, I feel like everybody on crypto Twitter has this thing where they, they it's like a clip or a tweet that everybody gets a dunk on them on, mm-hmm. you know, like two years from now or this something. This is yours. And yeah, like I feel like I haven't made that really... <laughs> Dude, you're right. Yeah, Mother you haven't, you haven't walked out on the plank. You yeah. gotta go out there. So I figured now is the time for me to just absolutely just walk out onto the ledge and just just this jump, is make or break. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, probabilistically speaking, this is this is definitely going to be a terrible idea. But but the bigger the risk you take, the more followers you get. So please take a big risk here. Yeah. Okay. So I I think there is like a lot of merit to this idea actually, and I am once again somewhat balls long. So. I guess I'm sort That's a of CFA term, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm also kind of like confused by the somewhat balls long. Yeah. <laughs> well, those who follow me on Twitter know that I, I I went no longer balls long back in April, I think. Um, and I said I was going to walk away for the summer. I was like, the market's going to it's going to top in May, and I'm going to walk away from the summer. I was right about the topping, but I was wrong about me walking away because I'm a moron. <laughs> um, so I've been just watching this godforsaken market chop for three months. Um, but in that time, I, ha- I have been reaccumulating um, because I have the, I, I can't shake this idea that what we saw in 2021 was maybe not like the blow off top of the bubble i feel like everybody's like that was the blow off top and now we're sitting around in some retracement or we're waiting for a recession or a blow up or whatever and then we're all going to swoop in with our bags of cash and buy the bottom and then ride off into the sunset in one or two or three years or however long it takes but there's very few people i think who are sitting out there saying like no actually if you zoom out far enough what happened in 2021 with asset prices and then the 2022 that followed, that was just a expansion move up and a retracement. We have another leg up. Super cycle. Mm, I don't think this is a super cycle thing. I, I, I actually do think we are going to die very badly <laughs> at some point. But 
I, I just find it hard to believe it's going to be at the point where everybody just thinks we're going to die. That's like just not how markets work. This is like, I actually found a tw- I found something I tweeted last September actually where I was just like taunting everybody like yeah we're we're gonna make new lows recessions coming that's how market work markets work right it just does everything everybody says. like literally it's consensus that everyone agrees yeah. that this is gonna happen now yeah. that tweet was wrong because we did in fact make new lows like three weeks later but then January but then January it was hit. basically the bottom yeah. it was basically the bottom and then we just ripped yeah you know so um, it's a weird weird thing that happens and now now I find myself in a similar environment like. All of the do I don't know if you guys listen to macro podcasts, but all the macro podcasts are once again telling you about how the world's ending. We're all gonna die. Uh, yeah, inflation's so J- gonna JP go back. Morgan analyst just came out yesterday saying like, "Oh, sh- here comes the fucking guillotine." You know, like six in the next six months, here it comes. Like, yeah, everyone's so, on that. So this concept of a melt up is like interesting. Like broadly speaking, it you know it talks about the idea about how just asset prices. There's some there's some nuance, but some people when they say melt up, they mean blow off top, and some people mean different things. But we're going to kind of use them interchangeably, right? It's just this idea that everything is just going to go up, you know, slowly, quickly, whatever. Often in a time where people are saying like this shouldn't be happening, you're all going to lose your money. Market shouldn't be going up right now. Um, we've seen this in the past. I mean, most recently we saw this kind of in like. Uh, 2018, 2019, we saw this during uh, the dot-com uh, bubble famously. Like I think, uh, was it Bernanke who went out there and was like, this is a bubble. And then everything went up, <laughs> like basically doubled, like in a matter of like six months or something, something stupid. Um, so I kind of feel like the stage might be set for this again. And I feel like most people are not really positioned for this outcome. Um, I think you have a few forces at play right now. You have sort of this kind of confluence of a few things. One, we have the end of the Fed hiking cycle. Like, I think the Fed is is done. And done-ish. Yeah. Markets think they're done too. I mean, what are the what's the probability of a rate rate hike next month? Like five percent right we now. We looked that up. I, I think it it increased probably today, but maybe a little bit today. But it's 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 basically zero, right? So you have the sort of petering off of rates, not necessarily cuts, but the rate hikes are sort of stopping. And even if one more happens, I think you're still probably at, yeah. okay. Because like, a lot of this stuff with markets, right. as you know, is like a rate of change yes. thing versus like sort of what's anticipated. Um, you have growth up. Like the, the economy is really weird right now where like if, it feels like if you talk to everybody, everybody talks about how bad the economy is. Like it's like something they're programmed to say but like anybody who's gone out in the economy it doesn't look bad at all is aware that it's not bad. Like if you go to an airport, it's full. Hotels cost a Vegas. billion dollars. Yeah. Nobody can hire people for for work. It, like it's obviously it's humming. So it's it's like a really weird phenomenon. And then meanwhile, you have inflation kind of falling off a cliff at the moment. Although there has been some recent surges in energy prices, right? So you have this confluence of rates stopping. You have growth up and inflation down. And for people unfamiliar, like the sort of growth up, inflation down, is, is that that's the Goldilocks, right? Yep. When you have growth up and inflation down, that is the Goldilocks of the investment quadrants. And that's when risk assets just... It's, it's the best uh, quadrant you want to be in for 
risk it's, assets. It, it can, yeah, it kind of kind of like a moon status. So um, that's sort of like my fundamental backdrop. But as you guys know, I don't really like fundamentals that much because right. I like to draw lines. Oh, we don't believe in fundamentals. What are the lines? You never yeah. responded to my text. We don't. Way. Your text was stupid. No. Uh, what? <laughs> wow. What? He, I knew that. He was, didn't respond did to you, you at did all. Did you see that I said Steven's response is this is stupid? Yeah. I, I just I, pulled that. I don't have time to explain to you the nuance I, of this one, on. Son of a. I was actually going to back oh Steven up on that. Text, but like, it, are you out now? Or no, you? I was going to back Steven up on it. Was it was a complete like, non sequitur from everything I said. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about this later. Up. In the meantime, can we, can we put up the chart? Oh, Man great. Believe in fundamentals. Producer of the podcast. There we yeah. go. Okay. What? Yep, yep. All right. What are we looking so at here? What we're looking at here, up. yeah, it's a lot of stuff. So, so, looks like so bear with me here. This is a chart of the, the S&P. Now, I like to do something in my so day swing trading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Eric, are you familiar with the concept of range projections by any chance? Um, I would assume that's what you've done with the lines there, the horizontal lines. Yeah, so there's there's this thing when you're you're day trading where you 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 can sort of um, measure the length of like a, say like a manipulation leg down, and then when you catch an expansion leg on the way back up, the markets do these weird things sometimes where the leg up tends to be like a really nice perfect multiple of the manipulation leg down. So on the leg down, I notice you like to use the Fibonacci retracements. Um, on the expansions, you like to do something else. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a different thing, and I, I don't want to muddy it too much. But the, the the basic the basic like very dumbed down version of how I trade is I wait for the market to do something that puts a bunch of people off sides, and then reverse in the opposite direction, and then I like to hop on that opposite direction, knowing that a bunch of people have just gone the wrong way. And they're going to become forced buyers or sellers you, in the opposite yeah, direction, yeah. and I want to ride that. And so you want to be a little early, kind of like a surfer. You want to be before the wave. Yeah, I don't want to like predict what's going to happen beforehand. I want to observe the wave coming in, and then just taking a bunch of people out, and then like hopping on the wave as those people are like, "Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Oh fuck!" So, in recent history, if you pull up like an S and P or a Nasdaq chart, or basically any risk asset, you, you'll notice like two really interesting periods on a chart. The first is that sort of like late 2018 period, which a lot of people will remember who are sort of paying attention to markets. This was an era where, you know, the, the, the Fed was sort of saying like, you know, we're going to pull back all of this um, excess from the 2008 um, QE era. And the markets were like, nope, 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 nope. And we had uh, this sort of like taper tantrum thing going on. And we had like a really severe sell off. Trump got on the mic and he was like. I'm not going to do the impression, but, but he was like, he was like to, to turn the ship around, pull it back. And, and the Fed actually capitulated and Powell basically just took his foot off the, off the brake and put it on the gas. And then we just went nuclear after that, interrupted by COVID, which is like another significant sort of downturn in the market. Um, so both of these events, you saw this leg down, which sort of liquidated a bunch of people, got a bunch of people scared, got a bunch of people thinking the market was going to tank. And then we zoomed back up. What's really interesting if you pull up this chart is like if you sort of fib out these levels and you do like a range projection of, of, of both of those levels, you, you arrive to a, a market top like basically at the exact level that we topped at in, uh, in 2021 there. 
Yeah, it looks like it uh, almost hit your magic yeah. line there perfectly. Yeah, and, and if you were trading this on like the five minute chart, what you would be doing is you'd be waiting for like a retrace to like the 50% level and looking for some sort of, we call them PDRAs to, to, to go long in and then like hopping back on the uptrend. And completely randomly, I'm sure, like if you actually look at this chart, you will see that the big sell-off that we had last year was like a almost to the dollar 50% retrace, you know, of both the sort of 2018 and the 2020 manipulations. And that's really, really interesting to me because it tells me that there's something about these two like points of time in the market. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Like 2018 was the time where we decided like, hey, you know what, we're not gonna, we're not gonna undo this stuff. We're just gonna, we don't wanna upset the market. We're just gonna let things fly. And then 2020 was us doing the same thing, but on steroids. So my generalized thesis is that like the leg up from 2021 is a, is a result of that, but, but it, it's not the end. Like what we saw in 2022 is actually just a pullback of that. And we're ultimately going for like a much higher target that like we haven't <laughs> reached yet. Okay. So to, to support your thesis, what, what I have noticed too is like, um, like the bill has to come due at some point, but like anybody who's like in power at the time wants to, their incentive is to kick the can down the road. And like no one ever wants to like take the bill, right? So the bill means like, oh shit, we've like had this like monetary expansion, et cetera, and now we gotta fucking put the brakes on. Nobody ever is willing to do that. And I, I kind of agree with you because I think that like here's another example of where like, I thought, oh, fuck, here comes the bill. And no, it, it doesn't come because nobody wants to fucking take it. Yes. And I agree with you with that fundamental backdrop. Before we talk about that a little bit, and I, I promise you I will stop talking in a second, but there's just so much cool stuff in this chart. So I just want to finish it out. So you see on this chart, if you're looking at it on the screen, I have two magnets up there, which I like to use as sort of the... Th like when, when you trade, you're like, where is price drawing to? Call these draws on liquidity, right? You want to have an idea of where price is going to go. Otherwise, why are you in the trade? Um, and we talked about this idea of doing range projections from specific points of manipulation in the market. We talked about 2018. We talked about 2020 COVID crash. We had another one recently, which was last year. We had a move last fall where we had this breakdown to new lows. And everybody was like, oh, fuck, this is it. It's over. And then what happened? We reversed from those lows and then we basically went up only. So if you do a range projection on the 2018, the 2020 and the the manipulation leg from last year, if you go up there to about 5,800 on the S&P, they all converge on the exact same level. And furthermore, if you take the 2021 leg from COVID, which I've superimposed on the chart and put it from the bottom of last year, that leg goes also exactly up to, to 5,800 by about June or July next year, I think, if you look at the chart. And this is like something that's, I think, very inconceivable to people if you say this like oh yeah this is going to 5800 it's, it's like a 30% rip higher from here it's a big rip but if you look at it in the context of this chart like if you zoom way out you can actually see how the move from last year is is a pullback maybe and you know this leg which people are calling a complacency shoulder 
which I don't agree with personally looking at the chart for a variety of reasons. It doesn't look like a complacency shoulder to me. It looks like a move that wants to take the all-time highs. And I think once you take the all-time highs, like people go, oh, shit, baby, it's on. And then all, all bets are off from there. And then the bill comes due. No, it doesn't. It's just uh, <laughs> Well, okay, so can you, can you give me and Calcium a percentage of confidence? Because, like, everything's probabilities. So, like, I don't know. Where do you fall on, like, this... This thesis and Jordan, you can throw the camera back on Steven's pretty face. <laughs> okay, cool. I am like 50 50 on it, honestly. I need, I'm going to need you to go higher. No. <laughs> uh, 50 50 is a cop out. 50 50 is not a cop out because, like, if you want to buy options for 5,800 on the SP for like next June, you can get a very, literally free. very nice return. Yeah. That's $5. So, so <laughs> I, I think a. I think an interesting portfolio is to go like heavy cash, but then heavy, like really long convexity, like huh. super out there. The barbell approach that we've been talking about. For yeah, two it's years. like bar, it's like barbell, but it's barbell. But like you are especially weighting towards like the like you you might be 50 percent cash, 50 percent long, but the 50 percent long might be like. All convexity. 30, well, you might be like 30 percent long spot, but then like 20 percent. Kind of like convexity. Like you might be buying a lot of like out of the money options scattered through end of this year, June next year, and then like end of end of twenty twenty four. Could you, um, in your hypothetical portfolio, could you substitute some of those like call options if people aren't you know used to those with crypto, like a, just a higher beta risk asset? So I personally have a lot of crypto, but in doing so. It, it, it's it's a well-known thing that says like when you have like a thesis on something, you should bet on the thesis, not on something that is a proxy for the thesis. And I am definitely betting on something that is a proxy for the thesis because I'm pretty confident that I'm I'm like very confident that S and P goes to five thousand. I think probably but, by end of the year. Like I feel very good about that. Fifty eight is a big target. And by proxy, you mean crypto versus yeah you're like uh, oh stocks will go up so if i bet on crypto crypto will go up more and that's probably true i mean but I, you're making I a proxy pretty, bet i have high conviction in that narrative yeah i mean you make a good point because like crypto specifically is just like such shit liquidity like i mean the market isn't trading like there's m Ooh. money coming in but I that mean, cuts both ways baby i mean uh christopher hildebrand just mentioned thoughts on the soul and visa partnership news and it's such a it's such a perfect example of this that soul has this visa partnership and in a normal market where money is coming into the in, into crypto that thing pumps and, and continues to pump and oh, yeah. in this case it went up four percent and retraced the whole fucking Dude, thing I in saw, a day. Uh, you know, with that ETF spot ETF uh, ETH submission on ETH, and like ETH didn't move. Nope. Right. I mean, it moved a lot, but it fully retraced. But it was like similar to last week. There's this weird phenomenon going out on right now where if you look at like TradFi proxies for crypto, like MicroStrategy, like Coinbase, like Bitcoin mining stocks, and you compare those to the price of Bitcoin, you're seeing like a complete divergence in the performance of those things. Like for example, we had the grayscale kind of fake news last week, Bitcoin yeah. pumped, and then it went to new lows basically. It, yeah. it like went to, but MicroStrategy pumped and then only retraced part of the pump. And if you look at MicroStrategy stock and Coinbase stock versus Bitcoin, like Bitcoin's been making lower lows 
But MicroStrategy and Bitcoin and all the miners Mining have stocks, been making yeah. higher highs. And it like it makes me wonder if a lot of these smart like TradFi money, institutional money, is just like we're not fucking around with they're, these like illiquid play in the proxies. markets. We're gonna play in the proxies for now. Yeah. We're gonna buy MicroStrategy. It's basically a Bitcoin ETF. We're gonna buy Coinbase. We're gonna buy these miners. Um, this is like this is like a technique you use in day trading. Like you look at two assets that should be correlated, say like the Nasdaq and the S and P. And if you're expecting a reversal, if you're expecting an asset to kind of bottom and then go up in a particular zone, and you look at one and it makes a lower low, and you look at the other and it makes a higher low, that's like a long signal. That's a signal that there is some institutional money coming in and accumulating down there, preventing the lower low. And that's like something you can, you can actually use as a long trigger. So I'm like wondering if that is something we're seeing in, in crypto right now. It's, we're seeing the early footprints of the bull, but like in the traditional stock world, and we're all just focused on crypto, like in the spot market, which is just dead and horrible. But, but like, why would it be anything but? Like we blew the whole thing up. Binance is like, looks like they might explode at any second. It's like the whole market is trading on Coinbase, like legitimately, quote unquote, right now. It, it, it's a mess. Yeah, so, I think so it makes sense. I think it's taken me a while to sort of buy into like bull market thesis. Um, but I, I saw like a, a tweet from Jim Bianco who like just like draws out all the lines on the NASDAQ from like the last 25 years plus. And uh, I think we're tracking for the best year ever right hmm. now. Um, it's hard to ignore that what? kind of thing. Yeah. Like, we're just doing so I mean, well. Look at the candle from just just pull up a monthly chart of the NASDAQ and look at the candle from June. And then, like, tell me you want to fade that. Like, tell me you're going to fade that. Tell me that's not going to new all-time high. Like, I, I feel like people are so in the bear that, like, the, the chart is just staring them in the face. So, like, this is going higher, and people don't want to believe it. Can Are you describing a scenario where, like, stocks could hit all-time highs but crypto could just stay in a rut because like when i was planning out my scenarios of potentially selling my stocks and buying crypto this was like the best case scenario so is that what you're describing or do you think crypto will kind of come along for the ride but maybe not at the i feel like crypto is so dependent on the etf unfortunately and i feel like if you want to bet on this and you don't have any money allocated right now i feel like you should just put all your money in the nasdaq and not so much in crypto because there is a chance that stocks do the melt up and then like ETH and Bitcoin underperform like they have in the second Wouldn't half of this year. Wouldn't you assign a higher probability then to stocks and NASDAQ? Like if you're really going to make the melt up trade. I would. I would. And like the, 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 the truth about... for sure. Yeah, the, holy, holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> First ever full-blown... Uh, this is Studio what happens accident. when they do live. Sorry everywhere. for your ears. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for your ears. Just keep rolling. Just keep rolling. I feel yeah. like you guys ever see Wayne's World? <laughs> so they're like they're like doing this thing in the like their studio, their like garage, and they're like going straight to. Uh... Still going for the drink, by the way. <laughs> Such a professional. Okay. Make sure there's no glass in that, by the way. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. so what I wanted to say before Eric blew up the studio is that. Um, this is something professional investors know. Like a lot of people like to invest in crypto because, you know, you can get big gains, right? But in reality, you can lever up 
anything in TradFi, right? Like, sure. if you think the NASDAQ is going to go up, but it's ETH's going to go up twice as much, like, you can buy futures, you can, like, lever up 2x on the NASDAQ, like, it's not going to go down 50% and liquidate you, you know? And, and you can take on more returns, you're going to take on more risk, but you can sort of simulate that Wild West high volatility return profile of crypto if you want to by, like, kind of levering tech stocks or by buying, like, a specific basket of, like, ultra high beta tech stocks or, or something like that, right? So people don't necessarily have to buy spot crypto. Like obviously this sure. requires a little more sophistication, but like yeah. that's like something I've been thinking about personally a lot more. It's just like, why do I own so much crypto? Like if I have this much of a risk tolerance, maybe well, I should just buy more. Can I talk tech about stocks. this a little bit? Cause I, I like, I find myself to be better at what to buy rather than when to buy. And I, I basically hmm. lean on you for like when to buy. And I really like your, your takes on this. Like this melt up thesis is like not something that I consider. Cause I'm like, I find myself being sort of like on the consensus side where I'm like, Oh shit. Economy looks like it's going to fucking kill us. Um, but I I'm hearing what you're saying and, and I kind of like it where I'm like, Oh, let's be uh, contrarian here. Let's be non-consensus. I like that. And then I'm thinking of like, well, what do we want to own, right? Like, what do right. we want to own if this thing goes? And that, I think NASDAQ does make sense, but, but uh, you know, NASDAQ's kind of boring for me, you know? Like, I, I want to go a little harder. And I think that crypto is just basically a higher beta NASDAQ. Um, we're seeing some decoupling, sort of like working against that thesis right now. But... Um, you know, within crypto, I'm thinking like, well, then I want to own ETH, right? I, I do love that. But what's going to be like higher beta ETH, you know? So like there's some things that I like here and I, I, I sort of look at it from a fundamental perspective typically where I, I look at like token terminal, I look at the fees and I say like, what what's a real business? You know, like what's like a real a real thing that, that generates value? And there, and there are plenty of these protocols out there that are like generating a, a ton of income, right? So what have you found? Uh, Lido, <laughs> Maker, Frentech, Base Chain, Optimism, Optimism to a lesser degree, um, Synthetics. Um, but I think what I'm what I'm considering as well is like, um, you know, when when you're looking at that game, like you're you're exposed to the regulatory risk to a hundred percent, right? Like. Like Uniswap generates a ton of fees, but like the Uniswap token as a to as an investment is not going to move unless they return value to the token holder, which they can at any time. But it is almost entirely dependent on whether or not they're like deemed a security. A16Z wants to turn it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like as a GovCoin, you know those GovCoins are like entirely owned by like a handful of people. So I think where where I land on it is like. Well, I know something that does accrue value from the the earnings of the business, and that's Coinbase. Like Coin yeah. Stock is the one where I'm like, this is this is the one. That's the no brainer for me. Like there are other things that I do like. I like Optimism. I like Lido. I like I even like Chainlink right now. I've like I spent the last like forty eight hours just like uh, reading get, about Chainlink. Get out. <laughs> he I, says get out. I love <laughs> Chainlink, uh, but like. 
But wait, what it, about the tokenomics? I mean, exactly. it's basically set up so that the the validators and the founders and the VCs just <clears throat> dump on you all day long. Okay, so with Chainlink, what I what I see here is like we have this we have this paradigm that like maybe we didn't want to get into where it's just like there's going to be a fuckload of of chains and a fuckload of protocols and like you're just going to need to pull data all over the place. And that to me seems like you're going to want to choose the one that is like the most legit yeah. and chain link. I am looking forward sense. to the bankless episode where they dive into like the CCIP. They're, they're basically like integration into Swift yeah. and what that means. And I, I mean, hope like, they go in the tokenomics like part of it. In the, in the money channel in the last like week or so, we've been talking about like pulling real world assets on chain and how that would affect things. I think chain link plays a, a key role there, but I'm also just thinking more, more like, what about like interchain data that needs to be pulled? Like, Chainlink makes a lot of sense to me. It doesn't make a lot of fees right now, according to Token Terminal. But you know, I think if I'm if I'm looking at like fees and like value accrual, the answer to me is Coinbase, and, and yeah. there's like no better answer. And and I I like that Coinbase took a ten percent stake in Circle because like when you talk about you know this Sol Visa uh, partnership, anything involving like using traditional payment rails and crypto being a part of that now typically these companies need a circle account in order to like receive that money from the acquiring bank and from say visa or or paypal whoever it may be and uh i think circle is gonna capture quite a bit of market share and so it's nice that coinbase could Has be a, a part of that 10 percent ownership yeah. or something yeah, yeah. i mean I'm, Absolutely. I'm, just, I'm just buying eth and coin for the most part right now and and, and, and the reason is because like I actually have a fear that this next bull run is going to like I, I feel like what has a good chance of happening is everybody's sitting here in disbelief, price climbs the wall of worry, it starts going up, and then people are like, ah, okay. And then we start approaching all time highs and the happening starts coming next year, and people are like, Oh my god, stock markets at all time highs, the happening's right here. I gotta I gotta FOMO in. And then everybody like shovels in next spring but then in reality like the tightening cycle like actually comes yeah, to fruition comes yeah like something happens and then everything just absolutely nukes like really really badly so i don't want to be stuck holding 17 different kinds of shit coins for like what i think might end up being like a three to six month trade but you know? fastest horse i mean like hmm. so like lido for instance lido is like to me, exactly Uniswap token. Like, great business model, but like token dog shit. They're literally worthless gov coin. I don't care. I don't, I just like don't care about fastest horse. I care about the ability to get in and get out and to simplify my life. And like the return profile of ETH is already so freaking high. And it's also not a given to me that even something like optimism is going to like outperform me. Like there's like a very high chance that you get like ETH futures ETF or there's some backdoor ruling where they're just like, fuck it, spot ETFs for Bitcoin and ETH. And then they both just absolutely surge. And before alts can even catch up, like the, I completely the, agree the bear like you. rugs like, us and like, something. Let's you know? just call it this. Like the portfolio is ETH and Coinbase, like on this like crypto portfolio. That's, that's the portfolio. That's the core portfolio. And then you have like, for me, I do want to have some faster horses because I can turn them into more ETH. Like I just ultimately want more ETH. So like if Lido is going to outperform ETH, then... I, I, I agree, but I'm just like skeptical that it will. 
Or like yeah, might not I mean, be worth it. Nobody you knows. just don't even view it as a faster horse. You're not willing to make that bet, you're saying. Not over three to six months. Like, if I thought there wasn't this looming, like, nuclear global credit crisis in front of us. So it isn't a bull market in that sense, like, that we would be experiencing. I think if it's you go, a, if you go to, like, if you go to, like, severe lows and then back to all-time highs, I think that has to be considered a bull market. Well, I think people might look back and be like, oh, wait a minute, like prices went up for a year and a half, actually, and we didn't notice it. And that was actually yeah. the bull market. And now it's a res- oh, fuck. <laughs> like these things aren't yeah. so simple. I think it was more <laughs> like, like you just plan it out in advance. And yeah, we go four years. A better narrative is that like right. the, the recession was just like front run so hard, probably like. I think it, it probably it is a bull market. And it will continue, I think, to be delayed. Like, dude, it's been... We've actually been banging on this drum for a while. Like, no recession for a while. No recession for a while. I think we were all saying, like, no recession until at least Q4 this year. And now that we're here, it's, like, looking Q1, Q2, Q3. I don't know. Like, I could see us going all the way through the presidential election. That This, this economy just stays resilient. And it really just so, sucks people in. Um, I know you guys don't like to do three-hour pods. I don't mind, by the way. I'm happy to do one. But <laughs> maybe we can start to talk about that question from False and bring the money segment in. How do you think the election mm-hmm. might affect things in general? And my question would be, like, what did the last two election years look like for crypto? I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I mean, well, we already had a case study in this last year, right? They just dump the strategic petroleum reserve inflation was bad politically and they just dumped oil on the market they had a midterm election and they dumped the oil and they brought inflation down and they won what do we a got bunch three, of seats when people thought 300 were, million barrels left in yeah the so the idea SPR. that they're not going to pump it again next year in some way like i don't buy into like i think that has to be a bullish catalyst nobody wants to take the bill I think you'd Ever. be ignorant to to say that the Fed isn't like is like a zero percent political body. It it is to some extent a political body. So I wouldn't be surprised if like, and it, it maybe is naturally going this way where like there you know twenty twenty four you don't see any rate hikes and maybe you see, you know depending on what happens in, in the underlying economy like maybe you see some, you know Q, some form of QE. But like I wouldn't be surprised if like you see some any kind of forced fiscal, you know, like the the government spending money in any way possible. I mean, Biden is trying to find any which way he can to forgive student loans. And uh, it looks like in the most recent polls, um, you know, Trump's people are, are staying flat, but Biden's people, specifically the younger demographic, they're saying they're not gonna show up to vote. Last time they were more than happy to come out and vote because they were like against Trump, show up to vote for Biden, but like Biden, the polls is not looking so hot. He's retreated a bit and you, you can kind of tell because I don't know if you guys noticed this, but he had like the health and human services department issue this thing that like, we recommend that the DEA take uh, marijuana down from like a schedule one to like a schedule three. These are all like signs That's that like, <laughs> we're trying to go after the younger market because they're showing in the polls, they're not going to show up. So, you know, it, as this gets closer, you're going to you're going to see like some form of like you can call it populism, you call it like fiscal stimulus, like any way essentially to to buy some votes. And so yeah, that's a good point. You Just you might also, yeah. Yeah, I mean um you know, we I would love some stimmies again. Take it while it's good. Yeah. yeah, but um 
more volatility and and like Stimmies are good for that for that statement, huh? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so right. I, I don't know. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's move it along. We've gone too far. We've gone too far. Yeah, you were enjoying yourself. You I know? you know I, I like I, talking. I, I love seeing you. In your love little to, yeah, I love, great. love talking I love about it. losing money and stuff. <laughs> it's just like my. It's my um, uh, so what do we icky, got for guy? what do we got for meaning today? So um, Tim Urban has this uh, article called "The Tail End," and he references a pre- previous article. And if you haven't uh, read "Wait But Why," it's a blog. Best blog on the internet. Come but, on. Uh, Come on. By Tim Urban, he writes these like Best blog. prolific, very long but timeless articles. Like he, you can kind of tell his criteria for an article is. I'm excited for the people that have never heard of it. Yeah, will it be timeless? Like, like you just your day is made. Yeah. Go check it out. And so he he references a previous blog post where he talks about just literally plotting out the number of months, weeks, days you have in your life. And he's like, it's funny. You could put a whole human's life on a piece of paper, printer paper, and print just it out. a bunch of little dots. Little dots of weeks that you have in your life, and you can cross that out. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's like 100 e-commerce products that have, you know, yes. you put in your birthday, and it'll, it'll have them pre-crossed out. And every week, you can cross out your week and see how many weeks you have left. And he starts talking about in this article about like, well, hey, how many um, Super Bowls do I have left? Well, I've lived this far. I've probably lived to 90. I have 60 Super Bowls left. I have 60 winners left. I have, you know, I, I, I eat uh, dumplings like five times a week. So I only have this many times I eat dumplings. He said I only have uh, nine presidents left. Oh, yeah. He's seen like X Ooh. number of presidents. So he's like, I will only see nine that's presidents. That's crazy. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Left. And, and, he starts talking about these things, then he goes into the real meat of it, which is like he thinks about his relationships. And he's like, as a 30-something-year-old, I may only see my parents 10 days out of the year. I may only spend 15 days out of the year with my siblings. And he's like, you know, when we were growing up together, I saw them every single day. But now, at this stage in life, I only see them as much. And he, he comes up with a stat, basically, like, after high school, he spent something like, 90% of the time he would with his parents already at, af, like at the point of, of high school. And so he's basically saying like, you know, even though you're a, a third through life, you may only have 10% left with your close family and friends. He even talks about his four buddies uh, in, in high school and college he used to hang out every few days and play hearts together. And now he only sees them three times a year. So he's like, I only have X number of times to see my buddies all together again. So, uh, Stephen, you brought this up because you made a a trip back home recently. So, like, what was the impetus for this popping in your mind when you made a trip back home? I, I assume you saw some family. Yeah, I went home for my uh, my grandpa's birthday. It's ninety third birthday, and. Uh, yeah, I was hanging out with him and talking to him about life and everything. And then I just, just like doing the math in my head. And I was like, geez, like if I was to be like an actuary about this, like, like I put the over under at the number of times, like I'll ever see my grandpa again at like four. And that was really fucking crazy to me. And then it reminded me of this. And then I started thinking about it again. Like, cause this, this, this article was something I, I had read a while ago. And I remember reading it and like, especially like the, the looking at the graphic they have where it's got like the, do, do we have like the, 
I'll pull it up. And yeah, the chat. chart with like the dots. Like it's it's really stark to look at the dots and see like the visual <laughs> representation of all of the times you've seen your parents in your life and just like how many you have left. Um, and I actually know a guy who had like a chart like this and is uh, how do you guys feel about this like putting like one of these in your in your office and you're like popular. marking off you're marking off I've the weeks noticed, and you're marking off all of these moments i've Jordan, noticed scroll down to the one uh it's further down do the one that's like um the, time with your parents where they're like 90 percent is marked off i think it's like towards the bottom yeah, there he's talking about Super Bowls and winters and So Steven, I've noticed pizzas. that people either love or hate this. And there are some people that have no problem with getting one of these, printing them out cuz they sell them. Like Wait But Why sells them if you want to support Wait But Why. And that's the one. Yeah. Oh, damn. And that's you it. can mark off the weeks of your life every week. And some people find that, for example, like Peter Tia talks about this and he he talks about how he finds it to be a very motivating, uh, sobering in a positive way, but that a lot of people find it morbid and difficult to face. Um, where do you guys land with that? Like, it is a constant awareness of your mortality staring you right in your face alongside the idea of just, if you were to just do the parent chart, that one just facing you constantly as well, realizing like, whoa, 90% of it is, is gone is kind of a big deal. So yeah, where, where do you land with that? Would you, you just had that experience and you brought this up. Would you, would you print one out? Would you buy one of these? I would. Look at it every day or every week? Yeah, I would. And I personally would find it useful because I am very prone to getting lost in just like the minutia of my work. And I... So would you consider it to be a useful anchor for perspective and grounding into the present? Yeah. Like I said, I, I think a lot about how much time I spend like looking at a chart and like how... This is a better chart, by the way. Yeah. You know. This is the only <laughs> chart that matters. <laughs> this is my kind of chart. <laughs> and it, it, it can just get That's easy... Fine easy to be lost in it that is. and you think about what it's going to be like at the tail end of your life looking back on that and you do wonder am i going to regret the time i spent doing these these things um and yeah i, I just feel like i'm just getting into that phase of my life where i'm like actually starting to think about this quantitatively and just like how few of these all of these i think about this like with my my dog all the time actually mm. too because i'm just like fuck this stupid fucker well, is not gonna he's really only gonna live like warp 10 more years of time uh for sure yeah yeah and i was just like how many times am i really gonna take him to the beach here and it's just like because that he's gonna be like it's a short life one of the first things you know it's it's like probably either him or my my grandpa, you know, like just if I'm just like looking at it statistically, you know, they both mean a lot to me and probably my grandpa will go first. But like after that, like it'll be it'll be a little Ziggy. And that's like a guy who I spend like every hour of my day with. And they have like such a short life that you really with them and you and obviously we should do this with humans, too. But they're like there's something about dogs that like force you into that compression. Like you see their whole life go by 
so quickly. Like he's already basically like 30, you know, and yeah. I just got him, which is crazy. I, I just to add more to the foundation of the conversation and there's so much to explore, but I find this to be such an interesting concept, such an interesting way to approach life. Um, Tyler says memento mori in the chat, you know, it's like, this is an ancient practice that, um, you know, was popularized by many of the great philosophers that we, you know, look back at today, the Greeks that had these skulls sitting on their, their desks, their tables, their homes to remind them of the finiteness of life, the mortality that faces every single human being that no one will ever escape. And they viewed meditation on death and mortality as a very useful tool. I personally find myself as somebody who meditates on it frequently enough by nature that I don't necessarily require additional external um, <laughs> mementos to remind me of this fact. What does a memento mori mean? Um, I don't know. You you I have it's like remember you have to die. Yeah, like remember, like it's like your death. Understand your mortality. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. I don't know the exact translation, but essentially that and. I think that it can be a useful tool in particular. You know, another person who talks about this a lot is Sam Harris. Sam Harris is a person who really tries to emphasize for his audience the importance of the meditation on death and the usefulness of that for yourself, for your family, for everyone around you. And yeah, I, I, I don't quite have a particular clear per perspective on it yet because I think that when you go too far in the direction of over-exploration and meditation on it, you can lose yourself in a bit of a state of uh, anxiety, actually, like death anxiety, time anxiety. But that time anxiety, at the same time, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I think that most of society needs a kick in the ass and needs to remember that they are going to die and that everyone around them is as well. Because I find that the majority of people are actually asleep at the wheel of life, living in this sort of zombified trance state, as my friend Jason Silva says. And I love that video. Actually, I think that that's... Like, watch Jason Silva's video on nonconformity if you need that kick in the ass. It's one of my favorites. And I really believe that most people need that rather than the uh, sort of like what I'm asking for, which is maybe a little bit less. And I, I think I'm already pretty grounded in the present, but I'm curious where you guys land in it because I think it is a very useful tool. Well, I, I was going to ask you because you're the only one out of the four of us that's actually on both sides of this. You have both of your parents, but you also have a daughter. And so I'm curious, like, does it, uh, I don't know. Does it, do you, when you see Tim Urban's chart and what he's talking about, that you have X percent time left with your immediate family do you think more about your parents or do you think does it translate to your daughter and like wow like these 18 years are the majority of it curious is it do you think mostly about your parents or your daughter yeah pretty much both pretty equally but i will say that something changes i mean everything changes once you have a child but what really changes is your perspective of time. Because now I have a different sort of arc of time moving relative to my own, one that I created 
and that time is uh, moving at a different rate of function than my own. And so what it provides is like this weird perspective where time is in many ways moving slowly, but also way more rapidly than ever before. And so these seven months have flown by. And I mean, it really forces you to pay attention, to be in the moment as much as possible. If you're lucky, I mean, a lot, I mean, I'm very busy, but I really try to meditate on every moment and you can't help it. I mean, once you have a child, it's like every little thing, every little movement actually is a great exercise in moving into the present. I mean, just even yesterday, I just remember like she was making new movements and new faces at me. And I was just like eating her up and kissing her fat, chunky thighs and like kissing <laughs> her face and just like obsessed with every little toe. And, oh, you got this from your mom, but you got this from me. And like seeing how she's forming and was formed. And what that does is it draws you like deeply into the present. So at the same time, of course, parents getting older and watching that occur is very difficult for, for any person, for any child, for any human being. And so... I don't know. I, I think about a lot. I'm like, I have this discussion with myself of like, should I have moved back to Sacramento? And I mean, I'm being honest here, like, and stayed near family and just experienced more of that, especially knowing that like they're getting older. And then of course you balance that with like, you have to create your own life and your own family and your own future. And it's a weird tug of war, if you will, like where, you need both and you want both and both are critically important. And maybe your parents would want for you to create your own life and not necessarily, you know. I can't imagine saying bye to my daughter one day and just having spent 18 years with her and then all of a sudden I see her 15 days a year. That's fucking crazy. That's crazy. Like yeah. I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine how my parents feel. But my parents, like my dad is so cool about it. He's never like gives me a hard time why don't you visit more often why don't you call more nothing and I, I do a lot but like i feel like i would be like yo i need to see you like, <laughs> you know i want to see you more like i'm gonna come to you and visit you more and like i don't know maybe you change maybe you learn to let go maybe once they leave the nest i don't know i'd be more a question for mm. the older parents out there but it is weird i don't have clear answers for it yet i feel like that's the number one thing i would do if i had more money is I would just import my entire family out and just build like a compound. The old compound. Just build like a compound in Rancho Santa Fe or something where everybody's got like a house. And we just have you just take a golf cart to everybody's house. And <laughs> there's obviously a pickleball court in the middle. But, obviously. In the middle um, of the lake. Yeah, it'd be really cool to just have swamp. the Sorry. whole yeah. Recreate there. the swamp. Yeah. <laughs> You guys don't know about the swamp life. I mean, we saw a picture in the Discord, so <laughs> swamp verified. Yeah. I don't know. Where do you, where are you at with this, EJ? Like, um, you look at these days left and... Yeah. So know. I read this article and I, I, I was uh, struck with, like, the perspective that it immediately uh, puts onto you. Um, but I also thought that, like, that's just a tool, right? Like, you, you can have that perspective without that tool, Right. You were mentioning how you, you kind of like just meditate on this stuff outside of having that chart in front of you every day. Yeah. And I feel like that, that same way. And I, uh, you know, I think earlier this year, uh, I lost my grandmother 
And, you know, we talked about that. And, like, I am left with nothing but, like, a full heart there. Like, I felt like I saw her so sufficiently, I guess. Like, I'm, I'm just, like, so happy with our dynamic. And even if it was, like, you know, only 10% left, I feel like I got it. I'm good. You know, like, I'm, I'm not left wanting. Um, another part of me is thinking, like... Um, I don't know, like, another thing that I've been grappling with is, um, like, all of these things matter, right? This guy talked about how many uh, Red Sox games he could see. Like, he talked about, like, family and everything, right? Yeah. And uh, what, I, what I think about personally is um, I feel like this is a, a personal need of mine, but this is, like, how I, I spend my time. Uh, often where it's like uh, I work, I work out, I spend time with friends, I socialize, but then I also do this like me time version of, of whatever I'm doing, which is like probably playing fucking FIFA by myself. And that has an opportunity cost. You know, I think about this. Like I, as I, as I like look at myself, I'm like, what the fuck? Why am I spending my time doing this? I know that I enjoy it, right? Like I get some joy out of it, but it's like a fucking five and a half out of 10 or something. And there's like way more enjoyable activities to do than that. But like that is important to me also in a weird way, like a, as a recharge or something. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've like been grappling with like, can I just eliminate the recharge and just like spend all my time in like doing sort of like high value things? Can I recharge just like, with grandma before she passes or something. You're like, I, this, this is what I wonder, you know, with mm. like our remaining time. But like, I know that in, in the core of me, I really do like that sort of a, alone time as well, even though it's not as like high value if I were to rate it. That's interesting, dude. I could be totally wrong here, but I feel like your experience with the dopamine detox shows that you can't that actually it's integral to you. And I think where you suffered the most was that that was removed from you, your ability to have self-exploration, rejuvenation, time with these things that maybe are a five and a half, but actually pretty necessary for you to function well as a person. I think Am of I it, even I, close? I, I think of it as like, that's how I recharge my personal iPhone. You know, it's yeah. like that's plugging the battery back in. It's a five and a half. Let so it maybe be. it is necessary, and I don't know. We but all need different things to like function well and show up for others, right? So, I think maybe that's your your version of that. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Do you have your say on this? Do you feel? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. Like, I think uh, out of the four of us, I'm the only one who's like lost two out of three like immediate family members. So I don't think I'll ever be ready to like maybe talk about that, especially in this, in this context, but it does remind me of this, um, you know, we talk about like, um, investing in money a lot and it reminds me of the book, like die with zero. And it talks about how, you know, the money that you could spend early on in your life, you know, to, to bring family members together. Like you can make an argument, Stephen, that like, if you used all of your money now, like literally all of it to make that happen, that you would have a better ROI off it. Cause there is only like a certain stage of life where you can do certain things. And like, you're at one of those stages where like 
that opportunity only exists now. It doesn't exist later in life. And so what I've tried to do is just be a little more um, free with like spending money that's like doing trips or getting family together. And I think that's where I'm... Yeah, that book seemed to have been very impactful for you. It, it made a lot of sense. Cause it made like, sense, right? And yeah. it also like helped shape your personal algorithm, right? In a sense where I think you've had these really great ways of approaching your investing and your portfolio. And then all of a sudden there was like this new information introduced that sort of shaped the algorithm to pull some of these goals into the present it's, and bring some of these experiences into the, to the, you're like, I'm young, but like maybe I do deserve to do these things and give these things earlier than I thought. Yeah, it's funny because like we talk about, like, you know, how we record our expenses and I have my personal balance sheet and the balance sheet ends in the number that it ends in is investable cash, like to invest in to, to keep growing more money. And before that was like the precious dollars, like do not spend more than you need to because you don't want that number to go down. And the thing I think I've come to grips with is like, it's okay if you use those for experience points, you know, like actually, in fact, that's a better use of the money than, you know, putting it in an investment vehicle compound over the next 30 years, because in 30 years, you won't be able to use that money for these experience points, whether that's with, you know, immediate family or others. Yeah. And you've talked about it in the past too, like creating like memorable moments, these like golden moments, like almost being like a, activity coordinator for your family and like trying to manufacture these like uh, experiences, whether it's like at home or, or travel um, and, or even with friends too. Like mm -hmm. you used your bachelor party as an excuse <laughs> to get everyone, you know, together on like a two week trip to New Zealand. And otherwise we probably wouldn't have, wouldn't <laughs> have done that. And that's like, you know, yeah, one yeah. of my top memories and experiences that I, I think I, 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 I've, I've had. So you know, and, and, you know, thinking about Tim Urban's chart, like how many of those do we have left? Oh my God. Fucking one? I thought we could pull one off every year or two. No, but like it's been five years or something. Since, uh, I'm so. in. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I didn't get to go. Uh, I, so I, we I have a, we have yet. a book club <laughs> in our discord. Uh, we have a book club in our discord and Tunsky said, maybe that should be our next book in our, which one? Uh, Die with Zero. It's such a fast read. I think a lot of people read it, but yeah, it's a great Because I haven't read it, and I, I would be interested in I, uh, okay, great. I discussing and that. I, I would say like 80% of the book is fucking spot on. You know, and it's 20%, yeah. you know, he like averaged some sure. like investment advice. He's like, annuities, this. And, and I'm like, okay, skip that chapter. And like, which I think you should do with any book. Like, just yeah. skip the shit that you don't like yeah. and just get to what you, yeah. you care I, about. I feel like I kind of want to take our book club in a different direction. I, I kind of want to do like the ADD book club where like, you okay, I'm back in because I don't like the dedicated one book at a time shit. I'm not in for that. Okay. I, and I didn't I, love the last book. Yeah. I didn't, so I didn't, I, I didn't, I did just, just didn't speak to me and I have such to a hard time devoting my I energy to ADD. stuff that like I, anything in life that like I yes. don't, you know, like I haven't. But how do you coordinate a bunch of books with, with a bunch of people? No, 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 like, no, no. So, so here's the idea. I, I very much um, subscribe to this idea that like most books could be blog posts, right? Oh, they and, most nonfiction books. Yeah, absolutely can. Right. So, so yeah. I think we can take books like this and like 
make people understand that, like, look, you don't have to read the whole book. Let's just collectively understand the gist of what the book is about and just talk about that. And then we'll move on to the next book. And it, I feel like it would be better to do that hmm. with four books in a month rather than to, like, trod through every chapter one book. And talk about the pros. Because it, it's mostly, dude. let's be honest, most every book is just filling up space. I totally agree. And, and I would I would Like, that's much how I felt about that. the last book is that it was just filler, filler, filler. Which book was it? It's called The Soul, Soul of, of Money. Money. And I just felt like the point of the book could have been still distilled into two chapters, but because the person got a book deal and they needed to write 280 pages, they had to fill up a lot of space with stories and anecdotes, which, by the way, as a person who's been in that world, I understand what they ask you to do, and that's necessary. And I find that most books don't need to be that long. They could be like 50 pages or 100 pages. Now, there are exceptions to this, of course. Yes. Like, there are crazy exceptions to this, like The Rational Optimist or some of these. And th that book's even longer than it needs to be. But there are some greats like out there. Every, and I every, tend to every lean... Every Thomas Sowell book. Yeah. <laughs> I personally, my rule is to read the older books, the books that are at least five years old and aren't just books that are trying to be on the bestseller list in recent times and don't have, like, any fuel of marketing behind them because they're perennial for a reason. They they still continue to be referred through word of mouth. So I'm I'm in for this version of We the book may only have good. 200 if you read 5 books a year, you may only have 250 books. Well, you got to pump those numbers up, brother. You got to pump those numbers. That is one of the saddest moments I've ever had when I realized how few books I have left. Yeah. In your I life. I remember when I first read that. Yeah. Wait, have you guys ever used Blinkist? I have had it for years. Yeah. yeah. Great. It. Uh, I, we could just do Blinkist summary. Blinkist yeah. book club. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Blinkist book club. Yeah. I don't know for the books that you've please. you've read. I went back and looked at the Blinkist summary, and I'm like, No, it's not the yeah, same. No, 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 it's not the same. It, it, you should go to the actual. Blinkist book. is not deep enough. But no, I do believe in enough. looking at the table of contents, and like, you don't like a chapter, fucking skip, skip it. Just yeah. move on. You don't have to read a book cover to cover. Blink, exactly. Blinkist is really good to get an idea of something that you want to go Discovery. deeper into. Exactly. Yeah, it's really good for exactly. top of funnel. Exactly. Yeah, and for those that don't know in the community, um, if you're not in our Discord, obviously get in the Discord, alfalfapod.com. But the it's a thread, so if you click on the Threads channel, the book club is one of the threads. Yes. Uh, that's how you find access to it's it. It's called yes. Novel, Novel Thinkers. Novel Thinkers yeah. Book Club. We, yeah, we have uh, all kinds of threads club. that are little secret Easter eggs uh, yeah. in the in the Discord. But yeah, if you click on the like uh, pound or hashtag sign in a channel, you'll find more threads. Like the, the Novel Thinkers Book Club one is under the lounge. There's yeah. uh, a startups under the money magic lines, which uh, Stephen hosts in the uh, thread under the money channel. I host a little mailbox money thread in there. Um, and under life, there's wellness, daily gratitude, tech talk. There's, there's all kinds of little Easter eggs in there. Um, so, yeah, go deep. Yeah, I'm all for ADD with books. Variety and skipping around in the book. That was something I picked up from, uh, I think it was the book Mastery was talking about, like how Da Vinci and all these guys used to read is like they would just keep... <laughs> one main notebook, one central hub for their notes, but they would allow themselves to go across all different types of books and resources and jump around and have the freedom to explore chapter to chapter. Like, look at a table of contents and just be like, yeah, that chapter resonates with me today. I'm just going to jump into that one. Out of order. Mm. Like, why not? 
Like, why not have the freedom to learn that way? That's exactly, it's very empowering. That's exactly how as I've someone, been approaching trading, actually. Dude, as someone who, yeah. like, would only read books front to back and had to complete them before moving on to the next one, yeah. There is a bit freeing. of an OCD element to it where you're like, no, I started and now I'm I committed. I want to finish. Like, but, like, life's too short to read shitty books. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I agree. All right. Anything else to wrap that up? Okay, very curious what uh, everyone out there in the community thinks about the the Tim Urban Wait But Why article. I think it's profound. It's special. Please hit the uh, Life channel with that. (laughs) Tyler Lilly, yeah, skipping chapters gives me anxiety. I'm telling you, dude, the first time you skip... You'll never be the one, same yeah, again. One, it's it takes like, one skip. Yeah, once you it start doing skip. it, you're like, oh, it's, it feels <laughs> no, so wrong at first. And then yeah. once you get over it. Yeah, you feel like you're cheating on the book. But. Oh, it's it's amazing. It's Calcium so, so 3.5x speeds the soul of money, which basically means he didn't read it. <laughs> 3.5x. <laughs> 3.5x. 3.5x. I wonder what I sound like at 3.5x. <laughs> uh, no, this is a really phenomenal conversation. Guys, it took 157 episodes to find our groove. I think we finally found it. I think no, so. I like the money meeting great. groove. I like the corners. Corner, magic yeah. lines, little mailbox corner. I loved it. Mailbox money corner. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Steven, are you pleased? Yeah, I ramble too much about the. No, but are you pleased, like, sir? Other than that, I'm. No, I don't think you did. I, I, I feel like I talked. Steven's too never much. satisfied. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> we'll keep going. I think we'll we'll keep going. We'll keep going for that reason. We'll keep to satisfy Steven. Thank you all for joining. We'll see you next week. I will not be here, so Wait, have fun. Well, guys. maybe not well, none next of us week. Will be here well, next week. Oh, excuse me. Okay, so we're gonna do a new episode for everybody. Tipsy talk throwback. That's, we'll find a we'll find we'll a throwback. Find a it's probably audio only. I'm still yeah. clinging to the hope that we can make something happen from Austin. Same. Please I know do it's, it and then give people. I two know episodes. it's low probability, but Dude, I I would love an record episode. something with Come on. David and the and our Alpha Alpha uh, party house. Record something with. Uh, wait, how, we're wait, gonna when are, be on are you a leaving? Flight. You're leaving Wednesday? No, you can record it whenever. Well, Stephen hasn't got his flights, but like we're gonna be on an no, airplane. No, we should we should record something Monday or Tuesday and release it. We'll figure something out. Yeah, we'll improvise something. I like that too. By we, do you mean? I'll do it. Oh, I like that too. Okay, oh God, I've had too much brother. to drink. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh, I rescind that responsibility. <laughs> I'm gonna need your uh, Zoom recorded. mic and stuff. We're just, locked just, in. Just give me give me the equipment. I'll I'll figure it out. Oh yeah, the easy part. All right. Uh, you guys. <laughs> FOMO is real. Until next week. <laughs> Have fun, everybody.